Hidden Gems, episode 50, podcast update number two. Nah, I'm just kidding. I should cut that shit. <laughs> I thought it was a stereo. I was so good. Oh, I would have been good. All right. Fine. Good outtake. Hidden Gems, episode 50, audience choice. Welcome to Hidden Gems, a board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. I'm Jason. I'm Bill. Oh my. (laughs) Sorry. Mid-drink. Sorry. I'm Bill. Beast. (laughs) One more Bill. (laughs) I'm Bill. And I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show. All right. Almost forgot how to do that. We're back, folks. Is this thing on? All four of us are back. (laughs) Wow. We've got the whole crew here. It's it's quite nice. Yeah, it is good to be back. It's a little rusty start. We've been hemming and hawing for the last hour here, but I think we're ready to get rolling again. I I forgot my 360 camera to capture this. (laughs) Oh, man, yeah. I'm really bummed about that. (laughs) We thank you, folks, for being so patient with us as we have rested and recovered and just taking a little time for ourselves. I know that people have been getting a little antsy for the next episode, and we understand that. But we appreciate very much y'all giving us the time to mentally recover to be able to do this episode. It was kind of an unexpected break, to be honest. It was just a perfect storm of events going on, many of which had to do with me. (laughs) It was. So so I feel like I need to explain myself. Yeah, yeah. Elaborate. Yeah. Well, it was not all my fault, but I feel like you were gone for a long time, right? I was on vacation. Yeah, Chris was on vacation. In Florida. And the day I came back, you left. Yeah, we left on vacation. So we did another national park trip, which people are probably sick of hearing about by now. But we were in Colorado and Utah for a little while, for two weeks, actually, because once you get out there, you might as well just make it worth it. So we did six national parks out there. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time traveling. We were ready to be home when we were done with that one. And while you were gone, we played the board game national parks here and sent pictures to Jason just I know. so he would feel. You know, I know. I appreciated that. Yeah. I have played that one. It's we pretty good. Trekking. Yeah. It's a simple one. It's like in the realm of. You know, Catan ticket. Oh, ride. yeah. It's slide as a feather. My kids love it. But yeah, so we did Great Sand Dunes, Mesa Verde, Arches, Canyonlands, Capitol Reef, and Black Canyon of the Gunnison. All very cool parks. What That's great awesome. memories for your kids. I mean, that is so cool. That is cool. Yeah. And so, then your house flooded. And then our house flooded. <laughs> Actually, the house flooded before we left. Oh, okay. Yeah. So update on that front. So we had a pipe burst in our crawl space, oh, which gosh. apparently burst two months before we found it. I don't go in my crawl space often. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't but, like, wow, but looking really back, high water bill. yeah, looking back at our water bills, I can tell when it started, <laughs> and yeah, just soaked the entire crawl space. Oh, so God. we've got it resolved now. Everything's dry. Everything's clear of fungus and all of that stuff. But Talia told me that Jenny, your wife, saw steam coming out of the floor. Is that made up or is that for that's real? made up? Okay, but <laughs> so I went out on our back deck and I heard a weird noise like a hissing noise. And I was like, that's strange. I don't normally hear a hissing noise on our back deck. So I turned around and there was this brown goo coming down the siding only on the bottom half of the house. Oh, and oh, I was no. like, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and so the back side of the siding had gotten so wet that it dripped down from behind oh. the siding, like the tar paper residue oh, or whatever. Gosh. But it's all resolved now. On that note, though, not entirely related, but on that note, just to add to the craziness of like, what are we doing with our lives? We've been debating the idea of moving for a Mm. a long time, at least five years, and things have gone back and forth, and the pandemic hit, and we met our neighbors, and we really like them, and we hung out with them for a long time. Anyway, every once in a while, I check around to see what's on the market, and while we were gone, 
a house popped up in a neighborhood that we had been looking at. Came back on Saturday. I went and saw it on Sunday. We put an offer in on Monday and it was accepted the same day. Wow. And then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I freaked out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but long story short, we are moving. Uh, and so that's been an adventure for the past couple of weeks, trying to figure all that out. And so that added to the craziness of getting back into doing this. So I think things are calming down yeah. slowly, but appreciate everybody's patience while we do life things. Well, I need you to move so. soon, man, because you put all your games in my game room. And I can't even move in here. Like games to the ceiling in here. It's crazy. Oh, oh yeah. Like you're mad about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jason's Jason's collection is what's causing the cramped space man. in here. Look at this place. <laughs> the game's all over the floor. Well, the good news is he's also moving closer. So instead of being 30 minutes late, Jason's probably only going to be like 20 <laughs> That's right. minutes late. So that's that's true. Awesome. That's true. I'll have less excuse now. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Bill, what's yeah. been going on with you? Quick wow. update. Uh, quick update. Uh, so you had a, a daughter graduate from American University and getting her master's degree. Oh, that's, that's right. Uh, last weekend. Took a, a long four-day weekend. Probably the highlight, other than the graduation, was we went to a putt-putt golf place. It was like oh. a high-end putt-putt golf. So glad you're mentioning this. This yeah. sounds so cool. Yes, please yeah, describe yeah, yeah. this. Like we, we, uh, it has three different courses inside. They have like high-end bars inside and your caddy's a bartender <laughs> so you can go around and play putt-putt golf we did the, the art nine holes which was like had andy warhol in it and yeah you know, some other stuff and it wow. was like a reproduction of you being in his campbell soup you know picture we had a, we had a great time doing it and katie wore her her regalia so she could get some good, good pictures. <laughs> and, and then of course we went down the mall and took pictures but anyway that was, that was i will a good, tell fun you day. the pictures from that putt-putt place that place looked so cool it was really cool. We are going next time we're in D.C. for sure. Do you remember what the name of it was? I just texted, but your darn <laughs> Indian burial ground house. I got no no internet signal. I got no cell phone signal. So I can't, can't ping the fan yeah. to find it's called out. The I'll let you know. The what? The puttery. That's right. The puttery. I looked it up. That's the only reason I know. Oh, yes. okay. That's it. Yeah. It was very cool. That is awesome. That's good stuff. So, uh, Cameron, talk about wood. <laughs> yeah, man. Or babies. I, I haven't done anything of any great significance other than spending a lot of wonderful time in my shop and a lot of wonderful time with my wife and my son. It seems like he learns new words every day and just having a fun time being dad. And I, maybe everyone in the audience doesn't know yet, but I'm having a little girl yes, in September. And my wife is having another. We are getting a little girl to be our daughter from my wife. And now it's going to be a balanced house. I don't know what that's like because there's three to one in my I, house. Chris doesn't know. I don't either. I, doesn't know what that's I never like. had any sisters, so I don't know what it's like to have little girls in the house. Oh, it's so great, man. A blast. I, I guess I I'm the only person. Wait. Oh, no. Bill. Have to. Yeah. Bill's all girls. But mm-hmm. yeah. Can speak from experience. It's good. We are absolutely thrilled and delighted. So yeah. September. All my kids yeah. get born in September, apparently. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so that's life for us. Man. January is a dark month. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Long nights. <laughs> anyway, we're going to move on from that topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took me a while to do the math on that. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just enjoying my new career setup, sometimes being on the computer and most of the time being out in my woodworking shop. And yeah, That's life's awesome. good, man. Well, Chris, cool. what have you been up to? Oh, my gosh, guys. It feels like it's been forever since I've been on a show because I kind of have. Yeah. It's been a while. I have so many things banked to talk about. I've read so many good graphic novels. 
played a lot of cool video games, but I'm just going to save that for now because we actually have a pretty full show tonight, so I'm not going to go into any real big detail about things I've been doing like that. I think it's notable to mention one particular video game that you have played recently. <laughs> okay, okay, we can talk about that. <laughs> okay, twist my arm, I'll do it. I finished Tunic. Ooh, wow. Finally. I know we have talked a lot about Tunic on the show. We'll talk about it again because as much as I hate to admit it, Jason was right. What? So game wait, wait, what? Is great. Wow. Quick recap, if you're a new listener and you don't remember, Tunic is an isometric kind of top-down-ish sort of adventure game in the vein of Zelda. Mm-hmm. But what's Cool about this game is you find pages of the instruction manual, which is fashioned after an old NES manual, mm-hmm. slowly in the world that teaches you how to play the game once you figure out what the pages are trying to tell you because they're written in another language. <sighs> There's so many things I could say about this game, but I will say probably the thing that I enjoyed the most were the secrets. This game yeah. has significant, meaningful treasure seeking and there are a lot of them and you have to search hard for them it's very puzzly but it is really satisfying when you figure something out and there are so many cool things to discover it's hard to talk about it without giving things away it it is but i will say one thing i think this must be mentioned this is maybe a minor spoiler so just brace yourself it's not that uncommon now for video games to have more than one ending Mm -hmm. sometimes they have three or four but there's like the good ending and the bad ending this game has two endings I won't tell you how they end, but I will tell you that one of them involves a pretty significant puzzle. And solving that was one of the coolest things I have ever done in a video game ever. Would you agree, Jason? Because I know you figured it out too. I, I yeah. would. No, I Did would you agree. finish you finished it? I didn't I didn't finish it, but I'm on I'm on the path, we'll say, to finish yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You unlock something. And when I did it, as soon as I finished it, I was like, this is one of those video game moments I just will never forget. Because it was just so cool when it happened, for lack of a better word. Yeah, very cool. Good wreck, Jason. It was hard to talk about the game because I was trying to get people excited about it as I was talking about it originally. But I'm like, I can't, I can't talk about it really because if I do, it gives away the coolest moments of the game. Yeah, but the game gives you subtle little clues that are just in your face throughout the game, and you're just not. Realize once you it, until once it you understand them, you together. literally sit there for five seconds and just smack yourself in the face and go, oh, yeah. "How did I miss this?" And then you're just in awe of the designer and how clever he is. It's so good. So yeah, Tunic finished it. That's awesome. Cool. <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking about Jason sampling your "Jason is right" segment there. And how much <laughs> we're going to do that in the future? Yeah, that was one Whatever. of the best moments in the history of this podcast for me. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it is good to be back. One of the things that we always do, as you guys know on the shows, we drink a little cocktail. Mm-hmm. Tonight we got three. Oh, gosh, yeah. Three. So Bill <laughs> brought us the first one. Want to tell us about this one, Bill? Yes, I do. I went through all kinds of things trying to think about something that is 50-themed. I started thinking about, well, what could I do that is back in, like, 70s that was popular back then or in the 1950s or whatever? And then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go with Everybody here likes bourbon. Mm-hmm. I went with an old fashioned. So I went through Virginia on the way back from Washington, D.C., and you know they have some different choices of bourbon. But I ended up getting a Basil Hayden dark rye on the way back Ooh, nice. from, yeah. okay. from Washington, D.C. And this particular old fashioned has two teaspoons of simple syrup, one teaspoon water, two dashes of bitters, orange bitters, a big 
That is a Carolina cue, by the way, there for you, Chris. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, too. Exactly. Carolina blue ice cubes. Carolina <laughs> blue I wasn't going to say that until after you uh-huh. drank it. Two ounces of the bourbon and a burnt orange slice. So one of the things that took me a while to get it out here was trying to slice the orange peel, squeeze the orange peel, and burn it while it's on the way in. Because uh, okay. the slice burning off my fingers. <laughs> and a maritino cherry. But, it's delicious. So, Thank you. It was. Mine is already gone. Yeah, it's no, gone. It's fantastic. I, I left it out there in case three is not enough. We could have a four. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the games. The video games. <laughs> oh, not yet. Oh, I yeah. couldn't update my notes. That was going to be such a great transition. Uh, save it. Save it. And that's my transition, man. <laughs> All right. Get the uh, get the prize music going here. Do we oh, have yeah, like a yeah. like a game show music going? Because we're getting ready to go into our. Much talked about, long anticipated Strasbourg giveaway. <laughs> yeah, how long have we been talking about this? <laughs> so, for those of you that don't know, Strasbourg is a game that it's we great. reviewed very early on in this podcast, I believe. It was like episode two. Or yeah, three, yeah, yeah, it's very early on. It happens to also be Chris's, I think, favorite game. It's my number one, baby. Number one. Chris acquired a second copy with the intent of giving it away on the show at some point. Yeah, yeah, and through Instagram, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. It's right. too complicated. That's right. So <laughs> we've come up with a way to do it. We want to do it on this episode, and we've been talking about this. If you contributed to our uh, geek list over at BGG, mm-hmm. which is a list that Dora and some others have put together, if you contributed to that list by recommending a game, by voting on a game, by commenting on a game, yep. if you've taken any of those actions, we've automatically entered you as a contestant for a drawing to win this copy of Strasbourg. Yes. We are... The very difficult to acquire Strasbourg. Right. I'm telling you, you will pay at least $100 for this game on the secondhand market. It's not wow. easy to get. And we're fully covering shipping, including international. So... There you go. Wow. Big gift here. Chris is covering shipping. I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is on me, people. So, here's how this is going to work. All right? So we had... Remind me the number, 160 161. 161 entries who are eligible to uh, win this. There, there wasn't any sort of bonuses for contributing more than once or anything like that. Which can I just say, too, isn't that awesome? We had 161 people that recommend awesome. hidden gems or comment or at least. I'm surprised you know, that we have 161 them. listeners. I know it's let crazy. alone <laughs> members of our guild or people that would contribute to our geek list. It's amazing. So thank you. Yes, thank you. So what we're going to do is Chris has put in a lot of legwork here. He's yep. divided all of 61 of those names into 20 different groups. 20 groups. And what is that? Eight or nine. Eight, eight names per group. Per group. So I'm going to roll two dice. The first, or roll the d20 first. Right. The, the, first, the first dice Good. is going to be a d20, which will identify the group. And then I will roll a d8 mm-hmm. to select one name from that list. Right. Okay? Right. So that's what's going to happen. I'm going to do it right now. Here, I'm shaking up the D20. All right. It's been a long time since I've rolled a D20. And that's, <laughs> that's why I gave sad you the honor. for me. For legal <laughs> Thank you, Chris. purposes, I'm doing a videotape. We're videoing. Okay. It is not rigged. <laughs> we have number 10. Number 10. Can I read the names? Yeah, uh, oh, yes. Let's, yeah, you need to read the names. Just read the to names torture the other 10. people that don't win here. That's right. All right. Group number 10. B. Snyder 788. Dark Ace 78. Legopolis, Tim Bovalander, Daniel Wallen, that's the game table, I think, George W., George without an E, Lawtray Salt, and Cameron Hawkins. All right. 
but those are hopefully all those people still listen to our podcast. <laughs> but you know, our, our lucky contestants in group number ten. All I'm right. now going to roll this D8. <laughs> oh, Here it comes. Number one, B Snyder, B. seven Snyder. eight eight seven eight eight. Congratulations, B Snyder. Congratulations. Finally get this game out of my house. That's right. That's right. The proud new owner of a copy of Strasburg. Yes. We hope you enjoy it, Beast Snyder 788. Thank you for contributing to the Geek List. And thank you to everyone else who contributes to the Guild, who listens to the show. Yep. This is our way of trying to say thanks and that we appreciate you. This episode is to serve that purpose as well. Yep. Speaking of those contributions, I feel like it'd be notable to announce. We don't talk about stats on the show a lot. Not a lot. Right. But I'm pretty excited because I think... Mm-hmm. It's possible that with our 50th episode, we might also hit 50,000 downloads. Yes. Which is amazing. Woo-hoo. Which is a pretty cool number to hit. Yeah. Crazy. So excited about that. That's a big number. It is. And now along those same lines, we actually pulled together a couple of other stats. And we're not going to bore you guys with this stuff for too long, but I, I thought a couple of these were pretty interesting. So in addition to our total download count being near 50,000, which is pretty awesome, I wanted to point out our most popular episode happens to be episode number 33 Tom Vassell's Tom most infamous reviews still hasn't listened to our podcast oh, yeah <laughs> at the time that we collected this stat there were 1379 downloads of that nice. one the runner-up so the second most popular episode is 31 forgotten felds with neat and nerdy oh yeah which we need to have Mitch back on the show yeah. so we so we Mitch peaked around awesome. 20 episodes ago <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know what that says <laughs> Our least popular episode, this one is not a surprise, <laughs> Hungarian Tarok <laughs> and other card games. Well, we really screwed up with the naming on that one. Uh, that one has 705. Wow. Which is, that's interesting to me, okay? So there's not that big of a difference actually between, well, it's almost double, but <laughs> <laughs> people still listen to that episode uh-huh. is my point. So that's pretty cool. And there's good stuff in that episode. We talk about Bargain Hunter in that one. Which is a great game. Yeah, yeah, a fun card game. So, but Mike Baglio was in an episode, so well, you could pass know, yeah. it. Maybe. He pulled <laughs> us down. He kind of ruined it, honestly. Oh, what were we God. thinking? <laughs> so that's fun stuff. All right, one more quick little announcement. We want to take a moment to thank our Patreons, our Patreon backers. As as always, we have a few, and we appreciate you all. And just to give a little teaser for our backers to know what we're going to be talking about, or if you're considering becoming a backer get an access to our backstage podcast. This backstage episode, we're going to be talking about the old classic game, Wiz War, yeah. also known as Games Not to Play with Bill Arney. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I'm ready for the next game. Chasing me through the dungeon like a rabid animal. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to hear our thoughts on Wiz War and how much I hate Bill... And become a Patreon backer. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite games. It's, it's better than Strasburg, for sure. Bill got um, real excited after we played that one. I was. I played my 70s Wait, all came roaring one? back. <laughs> all right. Well, because it has been so long since we've been back on the air, we thought we would do something a little bit different. Yep. And just add a little bit of extra content to this episode. If you're not interested in this at all, you can skip ahead to the board games. But we yep, thought yep. it might be fun. To spend a little bit of time before we talked about the board games to talk about some video games. And we're going to do that in the style of top 10 lists. Yes. So I know that each of us interpreted top 10 lists slightly differently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. So we are going to still do it in the traditional 
everybody lists their tenth and then their ninth and so yeah. on. But I think Chris might be the only one who actually ranked his. I so. guess so. I, I I figured a top ten list is pretty self explanatory. Bill wrote like an autobiographical tale <laughs> of his entire I have youth. Eight pages here. <laughs> no, so here, this is how it was announced to us. Chris sends us a text that says, "Hey, let's do a top ten video." Uh, yeah. Game thing. Which, which I mean, to me, there's like 17 different questions I have in my mind because there's like, what's a video game definition? Is it a console? Oh is it my. a computer game? Is it an arcade? I mean, is, how do you want to narrow this down? What is but, a video game, Bill? Uh, Let's talk about it existentially. Exactly. Because it's like, do I need to narrow that down? And that's like, no, I'm not going to ask him that because then he's going to tell me what it is. And then I thought... Well, so this is like was a, it the best game I played at the time, or was it because it had the biggest impact on me personally, or was it because it was pivotal to the industry at the time? <laughs> I mean, what is the criteria that you need to to decide whether it's in his? But so I thought I'm not going to ask Chris. This you went question. with the ask for forgiveness rather than exactly. ask well, for Bill. permission. You know, yeah. So instead of asking Chris, Bill just did all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill actually has six top ten lists. Yeah, yeah. We're going to spare you all from that. (laughs) Right. But I do think you make a good point. And I do think before we go into our list, before we say our number 10, you should just briefly, Bill, give a general idea of why you picked what you picked Mm -hmm. and why, if you rank them, which why wouldn't you? But, you know, if you rank them from 10 to 1, why you put them in the order that you did. Absolutely. We'll do that. Okay. So so my last one was it was at Stonemaier. It was the ones that said, the top 101 games you must play before you die. Oh, no, that was um, was Mike Selinker. Mike Selinker. Yeah. So so I have that flavor in here. (laughs) 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 Well, I will say quickly before we get into the list, I'm super pumped you're going to be a part of this, Bill, because I do think you'll bring a different perspective to this list because we always joke a little bit about it, but you are a little bit older than us. And so the three of us, Jason Cameron, I think are more to the console age. You know, we were young Mm -hmm. when the Nintendo and the Super Mm -hmm. Nintendo were hitting the scene, whereas I think your generation got more heavily into the PC gaming. That's chapter one, two, and three of (laughs) 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 my novel here. So yeah, I'll I'll be getting into that, Chris. (laughs) Okay, great. Can't wait to hear about it. You can save the rest of your notes for NaNoWriMo, (laughs) that Nano Novel Writing Month. Okay, that's awesome. (laughs) All right, well, I think we should start with Jason, and we'll end with Bill, because okay. he's the elder statesman. Plus, he can also kind of see how we're doing it. So that- <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So we're going to set a precedent here, Bill. Okay, you ready? i got to get rid of my first seven pages. So I'm sorry. All right, so I will preface my list by saying, and this applies to pretty much my whole list, is that, A, it's going to be pretty Nintendo-heavy, because okay. I was a Nintendo pretty much only you, yeah. console guy yeah. growing up a little bit of PC gaming in there, but also my focus here is less on ranking top 10 games of all time and more focused on like, what were the top 10 most influential games to me mm-hmm. over time? Mm-hmm. So my first goes way back as far as I can remember in video gaming. And a lot of that is because like, if I listed top 10 games it would be a lot of really boring games that everybody knows yeah super mario 64 mario kart 64 right like all these games that are fantastic games in and of themselves but are not going to be interesting to people so i don't know if this list will be interesting to people either way but i wanted to try to pull out a couple things that might be a little less everybody's top 10 list right so 
Hidden gems, if you will. <laughs> They're not all Jason hidden gems for sure. Jason is my spirit animal. I'm just going to say. <laughs> That's no, awesome. sorry, sorry, sorry. So sorry. I ruined it for everybody and, and validated Bill's approach. Remember, right. can you sample that now that Jason is right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, with all that said, I'm going all the way back to the Commodore 64. Wow. For the first one here. Okay. With a little, uh, little known title called Ducks Ahoy. Does anybody know this game? Never heard of it. Don't know this oh, one. Wait, is that that's not the ones you shoot at? The, the that's no, you, no, you don't shoot the ducks. You okay. save the that's ducks. Nintendo actually, Bill. come okay, on. Right, right. <laughs> so the very first gaming console I can remember is the Commodore sixty four. Playing this thing's big chunky keyboard box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ducks Ahoy. So it's, it takes place in Venice, I guess, and there are nine houses on the screen in like a you know three by three grid, and you see ducks in the top of the houses, and they're walking down the steps, and they're walking towards the door. But when they get to the door, when they get to the front door, they jump in the water and there's a crocodile going around. So you have a boat and your goal is to sail around to the front of each of the houses and try to catch the ducks before they jump Uh, in the water and take them to the beach. This is Ducks Ahoy. It's fantastic. (laughs) Sounds like a great one. I never said that my top 10 list was full of truly amazing games, but it was an amazing game to me (laughs) when I was five. That's awesome. awesome. So that's Ducks Ahoy on the Commodore 64. You can find emulators for the Commodore 64, and there is one out there for this game. So if you'd like to try it, it is possible. All right. So, yeah, my approach was very similar. I basically tried to think back through my, you know, sort of life of video gaming and tried to think of games that, like, at the time, I put in a lot of hours. I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. If I could have this set up right now, I would definitely start a new game and enjoy it. So that's kind of what I did. Yep. All right. Number 10, Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh, yes. I loved wow. this game. This is a great game. It was a different take on the old style of RPG because it had the whole like three-dimensional isometric yep. grid Square thing. grid. Yeah. It's still turn-based. But you had to consider movement in all sort of dimensions, including the Z-axis, because the terrain actually elevated. Yeah, you can Um, get up in a tree. Yeah, and this was on the PlayStation, the original PlayStation. And it had more to offer, I felt like, than some of the other RPGs that I had played at the time. Yeah. And really difficult, actually. Very difficult. And your party members can die. Can actually die. Permanently. You have to, like, recruit (laughs) randos off the street and then train them up from basically nothing. Yeah. I remember I played this game and I was probably like five hours in and I had a party member Buster uh-huh. and Buster died right. and I restarted the game. Oh I was like, gosh. Buster can't freaking die. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that could happen. Right. Yeah. It's so good. You mean roguelike? Well, it's not roguelike. It's a, it's Chris made it roguelike by restarting. I mean, the game I guess, every time. Well, I guess I get what you're saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I made it roguelike. Yes. yes. Yeah. So there you go. Final Fantasy Tactics. Number 10. Very nice. All right, I'll echo what you guys said. To me, these aren't the 10 greatest games of all time. According to people, they're my 10 favorite games. They're not necessarily graphically the best or technically the best, but they're the games that are most memorable to me, that had the biggest impact on me. I'm putting this game at number 10 because there's probably a little bit of recency bias here. This game could go up or down over time, but I just talked about its tunic. Wow. (laughs) It has to be in my top 10. It was so freaking good. I'm hesitant to put it higher than that because it's so new. Mm -hmm. But I am telling you, this game is dang good. And I've already talked about it, so I won't talk about it any longer (laughs) for the sake of time. But man, Tunic is a gem. I figured that was going to be on somebody's list, so I left it off mine in the honorable mention category. (laughs) It's definitely up there. I'm glad you went short, so that gives me a little more No, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I graduated in 1981. <laughs> Around that time, Star Wars came out in 1977. <laughs> Indiana Jones in 1981, and Tron was 1982. Just to give you the setting of what was going on around that time. The Apple II, which was produced, first sold in 1977. I got one in 1980. Uh, D&D, by the way, came out in 1974, and I got the first box like around 1981. So this is the environment that I am in when the games are coming out. So I also worked at the computer um, lab at Western Carolina University when I was 15. And I was first exposed to games down there, which was ASCII golf, right? <laughs> Where you type in on this thing with words what golf club you're using. Or there was a Star <laughs> Trek one, which I played more, which I won't go into it. But you basically typed in the words. The first one that actually seemed like it was a game that actually had any kind of video component was Rogue. And so I put it down here. But basically you would see your screen appear with periods as places on the floor that you haven't gone. The sides of the walls were like equals or, or dashes on the uh, way yeah, down. Okay. And so you would go around, and you had a dog that would go around with you, right? But that was kind of, when you say things are roguelike, it's referring to that game that was back there at the very No way. Of, yeah. So huh. that was when it was called I did not Rogue. realize that that's what that meant. Yeah. yeah okay. you know, when you died, you are permanently died. You're, so the game is called Rogue. It was called Rogue. Mm-hmm. You had a dog, by the way. And if you wanted to get really deep, you needed to keep your dog alive because your dog could kick ass later. (laughs) (laughs) And he got better than when he was early. He was, I don't know, pocket dog. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. So I I will skip some of this other stuff in there about the early Apple II games that I love, like Dr. J versus Daily Bird. That's when I first got my Zork game, by the way. You got to pick one, Bill. I know what I'm getting there. (laughs) I won't go. Rogue is not your number 10. No, no, it's not. Oh, my gosh, Bill. Okay. I'm getting there really quick. <laughs> that was Sorry. your honorable nope, mention. That's Bill's no, 10. Not, Moving on. Number nine. Right, right. I'm going to do this. I kind of want to lay a foundation. We may talk about other games that have these roots. Because I played a bunch of adventure games, and I don't really play those anymore because I kind of got them out of my system. But King's Quest came out. Grim Fandango. Full Throttle. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's a uh, lot. I know those. You're talking about the, the LucasArts games. Yeah. And Ultima. I mean, those mm-hmm. were one of those really early ones. A lot of those are at Abandonia. So anyway, I will now get to my first first top screen game. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> so these are really a whole lot like electronic board games because they were turn-based because you didn't have the computer power to do things. And this is where I really got excited about games. So my very first one, and actually started on a mainframe, was called Empire. And it had a capital T and a little t. And basically it was kind of global domination where you, you moved your units all the way around a bunch of islands. Had transports and infantry and tanks and battleships and whatever. But the one that I played a lot, I could play on the Apple, was Empire Deluxe. And uh, it really holds up. Honorable mentions for the category. Perfect General 2 and Panzer General. So that's how I'm going to do it. So anyway, that's, so that's Bill number one. Bill successfully mentioned 18 games. That is number 10. Yeah, so which one of those 20 games was your number 10? <laughs> Empire. That sets the stage for the rest of my 10. Anyway. All right, Bill. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Oh, and that was very educational and fun. If I'm going to cut it off. But don't do not do that again. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone uh, else just picked one, I right? Did. I will I stop did. you if you do that again. All right. Okay. Is it my turn yet? It is. <laughs> All right. So my next one, I picked this one. I know Cameron has things to say about this one. But going back again, as far back as I can go, would have to be missed. Yeah, man. So oh, this man, was one man. of the very first truly game puzzle awesome. games that I've ever played. And it was hard. Yes, it was it is. real hard when I was young. But, I mean, it holds up. Cameron can attest. I, mean, I, I couldn't think. imagine playing that game when I was young. <laughs> it was yeah. hard enough when I'm 36. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we didn't figure it all out. 
but it was just a classic. Mm-hmm. My my dad brought home a Macintosh computer, and it was the only thing that you could play on there. Or it was the only thing that we had, and so this is what we did. Wow. And uh, yeah, a classic. Yep, one that's, that's up there for, for me for a reason. Yeah, cool. All right, nobody is gonna know this game. Really? This is my only okay. one that I'm All bringing right. out that no one is gonna know. Maybe someone in our audience. If you do, please hit hit me up on Discord to talk about it. All right. <laughs> Legend of Dragoon. It was one of those like multi-disc games. It was four discs. This game looks like crap for the original PlayStation. I think the graphics were worse than Final Fantasy VII. That's saying something. something. But the story, I felt like the story was really, really good. And unlike most RPGs at the time, again, I was really in RPGs apparently in that age of my life. It had this combo system in the battle. So you would still get into random battles and you'd have boss fights and stuff like that. But instead of it being this boring thing of just like press X a billion times Mm -hmm. and your guy goes and attacks, it had this combo system where you had a square on the screen and then you have this outer square that went from the outer edges of the television screen that would spiral inward 90 degrees. And you had to time it to where the outer square would line up with the inner square. And if you pressed X at the right time, it would make another one trigger. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And these would come in sequences with like a rhythm to it. And you could program which combo setup you were going to use and you would train them up and it would unlock more. And it was like all the characters had this thing. So you had to memorize this sort of pattern and rhythm for every single battle in the game. And I really, really enjoyed that because I just felt like like it was really unique and it required this finesse. And beyond that, it was just a really, I thought, really good story. So, yeah, it made a big impact. Nice. All right. Number nine for me, this is a little bit of a deep cut, a little bit of a hidden gem. This is a Super Nintendo game called Act Razor. This was a game that I really enjoyed as a kid. And one of the reasons I really liked it is one of the first examples I can think of of a video game as a hybrid game. Mm-hmm. Think about that a lot now in board games, actually, where they take two mechanisms and put them together. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about Dune Imperium being a mixture of deck building and worker placement. With Act Razor, it's side-scrolling action platforming, but it's mixed with a civilization-building element, kind of like SimCity. So you'll be wow. action platforming, and then you'll go to your city because you're a god. They call you the master. Oh, wow. But basically, you're looking down on your people. You start with two people, mm-hmm. male mm-hmm. and female, and you build your civilization. <laughs> you build the towns. You build the cities. You get attacked by demons. You have to fight off the attacks, calamities. Okay. And then it goes back into the platforming again. Oh, wow. So you go back and forth between the SimCity kind of style into just fun hack and slash action. It's super cool. That's amazing. And it's hard. To clear the game, it is difficult, but I really enjoyed it. It's pretty deep cut, but if you ever get a chance to play it, I think it's cool. What platform? Super Nintendo. Okay. Act Razor. Cool. That's a great segue into mine, because mine, this is from the father of video gaming, Sid Meier, Civilization. Yeah. I'm going to go with Civilization 2, but... Same kind of thing. You're building a civilization. Civilization 2 was one of the first ones that kind of had a diplomacy era to it. But one of the things that I found really cool was building the wonder or coming back to your city and seeing you create something. I really absolutely enjoyed that. So it's still around now. I think 6 is a, is a current one. But the people that I know, they still like 5 better. These are gaping holes in my video game playing, mm-hmm. as I yeah. mentioned on here. One day. Yeah, <laughs> yep. absolutely. All right, well, my next one is a very not deep cut, uh, but it's one that is foundational in my memory from being a kid. My my brother and I used to get excited all week 
to be able to go to Blockbuster on the weekend <laughs> and rent the Nintendo, the NES system. Yeah, the whole console. When, when you could rent the whole console. It yeah. came, came in like a big padded foam bag. Right. <laughs> and we would rent Super Mario 3. Oh, yeah. It was, those are some of my best gaming memories. Like I said, not one that people are unfamiliar with, but definitely a classic and oh, yeah. one of my favorites of Super all time. Mario 3 still holds up. I mean, it wasn't that long ago I played it, and it's still good. Yep. Awesome. The warp whistles, man. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just went and saw the Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it yet, it's actually pretty good. I'm, so. I'm looking. I've heard it's good. It. Yeah. All right, number eight, Cameron. <clears throat> All right, my, my number eight is Pokemon. <laughs> Red and blue. Blue. Well, okay. I ended up playing all of them because eventually, I mean, you got to catch them all, right? So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that from ages like nine to 12, about half of my life in those years was spent playing some version of Pokemon. I knew every one of the original 151. I don't know how many there are now, like what, a thousand probably. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I knew all the types and everything. Yeah, played blue. I eventually played, you know, gold and silver. I think I the last one I played was crystal yeah pokemon pokemon influential kit dude pokemon is still hot man it is it's crazy that it's still around oh yeah my My, second son loves it still my kids have all the trading cards and they they, they never play the whatever you're supposed to play with the cards they just (laughs) trade them back and forth with each other and talk about them (laughs) that's great all right number eight for me this is another one's a little bit of a deep cut here this is a nintendo game this game is done very much in the style of the original Zelda. It's not Zelda, but it's like that. It's certainly inspired by it. But in my opinion, this game is a little better than that one for the Nintendo. Okay. And it's a game called Star Tropics. I've heard of this game. You guys know this one? Yeah. Okay. I've never played it. So this one, you're searching for your uncle. He's lost and you're going between all these islands and you're exploring these dungeons, which are full of these really interesting puzzles. These like jumping puzzles where you're finding switches and locks and keys and all kinds of stuff like that it had such a great sense of exploration and it did something that just really blew me away at the time (laughs) i'm spoiling a 40 year old game here okay get ready (laughs) there's actually a point in the game where you're interacting with a dolphin i think and you need to input some sort of code in a computer and you actually run the manual underwater at a certain spot on the book and it reveals a code what? Oh, that's cool. And that huh. blew my mind. That This oh was Nintendo. Uh-huh. You take the Nintendo, there's a letter yeah, that came with yeah. it, and you run oh. water under it. Oh, wow. Physically. In the Physically. Real like, I put oh, it under wow. the sink in my bathroom. That's so And this great. code came out, and I was just like, this is the coolest game ever. I probably played through it four times. It's so good. So, yeah, Star Tropics. Fun game. Cool. Cool. That's pretty awesome, Chris. I don't know if I've had any games that had me put anything underwater, so... Cool. Tunic actually hints at that. Oh, does it? Yep, it does. There's some okay. similar elements. Oh, I would not be surprised if the designer of Tunic played Star Tropics. So we'll just say <laughs> Maybe. that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, this is the last of my kind of turn-based sort of board game and video game form, but XCOM. I think we oh. talked about XCOM here in the original XCOM. Spent hours playing that. The same kind of thing. You get invested in the soldiers that you're leveling up. I'm trying to remember when this came out. 1994, I guess, is when it came out. The current ones are really super awesome. The Enemy Unknown and XCOM 2, they're really good at making a nod to the original and kind of just putting you back in the universe. But I just love that squad-based, turn-based movement thing. It's very, very cool. That's awesome. Another one I need to play. (laughs) Terrible. All right. My next one. Number seven. Number seven. So this is actually, this is 
maybe a deep a deep track and probably not a very good one but i had to stay true to my styling of my list here in games that i played a lot that were influential to me this is an an nes nintendo game chip and dale rescue oh yeah dude this game is great you played this game yes i have dude i played the heck out of this game beat fat cat yeah and it was probably the first game that i ever played to completion Mm. like actually played through the entire thing and took my time and really played it through so you're you know the entire game is running around as chip or dale throwing wooden boxes at things picking up blocks (laughs) every boss fight is exactly the same there's a red ball on the ground you pick up the red ball and you throw it at the boss like one strategic spot (laughs) you hit it for flashback so hard right now. you hit it four times and and you're done but yeah it culminates in running through fat cat's casino and (laughs) He's flicking his cigar and like <laughs> ashes are dropping down on you in the final boss fight. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> but, great. Uh, yeah, I played the heck out of this. The Robo Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's a good I'm, one, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you know about that one. I do. It was a tough decision between that and DuckTales. Yeah, that's but, also uh, a good one. But yeah. Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Yeah, I got Chippendale Rescue Rangers for Christmas one year. I don't even remember that. Nice. All right. So, number seven for me is Call of Duty 2. Very specifically, Call of Duty 2. Yeah, man, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. On the PC, this is the first and only PC shooter that I ever really played. The story mode and online, Mm. I think were both amazing. I preferred this one because the machine guns actually sucked in this one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's like a heavy machine gun and there's like a Thompson and both of them are basically spray and pray type guns. You were really good at this game if you could use the single action rifles or the sniper. Uh, And that made playing online so fun and feel so legit. I've tried to play Halo and some of these other ones, especially any of the Call of Duty games like on console. And people are so good at those. You just Mm -hmm. get crushed. Yeah. That was my like heyday of playing online shooters. That's Call awesome. Call of Duty 2. It was World War II? Yes. It's World War II yeah. theme. Yeah. I was just going to say, the modern warfare games are good, but I enjoyed Call of Duty more when it was set in World War II. And the battlefields, Battlefield 1942. Mm, yes, yeah, another good one. Yeah. All right, number seven for me. Cameron just mentioned, actually. So this game, it's single-player campaign, and its graphics are very good on its own right. It's a great game, but the reason why it's on my list is because of the land parties, and that's Halo 3. There you go. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, Bill, you've never got to be a part of this, but Jason yeah. and Cameron, I know you'd hit for sure. Oh, yeah. Jason, you I, came over. I came to one. Yeah. yeah. So I've done many over my lifetime. Mm-hmm. We set TVs up in the living room. That's awesome. Like at least six mm-hmm. around the outer <laughs> edge of the wall of the living room, mm-hmm. put all the chairs and the sofas in the center. We'd start at like three in the afternoon on a Saturday and play all freaking night long. Literally until like the next morning. Yeah. Eight V eight, 16 players. We had all these three sixties in there locally hooked up and we just played halo all day. And it's some of my funnest, best memories and playing video games is playing in those lands with you guys. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Epic. That's awesome. Cause I'm now transitioning into my network games and I have an answer for that later. Not this time. <laughs> but I have an answer later, but I'm, Going into the real-time strategies. Warcraft 2. It's not like the mm. world of Warcraft. This is the, the, yeah. the voice actor who did that. Was, so wait, was, you're doing six? Because you should be doing seven right now. I feel like I've done I've done uh, Empire Deluxe. How could Bill have gotten confused? XCOM, and this is the fourth one that I'm doing. Remember Rogue was number 10. Oh, wait. Uh, no, it wasn't. 
Yeah, so I, I think I, I think you guys have just got the numbering wrong. That's fine. I'm, it's, I'm, no. it's, it's seven. Yeah, we're on seven. One, two, three, Ten, four. nine, eight, seven. You named off four. This is my fourth. Yeah. Okay. So this is seven. Okay, you're right. <laughs> Zero base. Sorry, I'm just the other way around. I started mine with one. Anyway, loved Warcraft because that was one of the first real-time strategy. I thought did it really well. And Warcraft 2 is awesome. What's that? Yeah. Warcraft 2 is awesome. They're absolutely yeah. awesome. But you had peons that were harvesting wood and gold that was a target for your military actions, right? If you could get and attack somebody's peons instead of their military, you're going to win the game, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to say these real quick because they're all part of it. But okay, okay, Bill. Command and Conquer, Tiberian Sun, StarCraft, Age of Empires, Empire Dawn of the Modern World, which is really good, holds up well. Total <laughs> Annihilation, which was great. And then finally, Final Assault. When Chris and I first met, maybe the third time, I brought over my VR headset. And oh, yeah. And showed you Final Assault. I remember that, yeah. VR. So that's, that's that real-time strategy, mm-hmm. like a, a train You're set. picking up the troops and the stuff right. and putting them Dropping on, the, on yeah, the yeah. board. To me, that's kind of that family. So anyway, that's, that's how I'm doing my list is <laughs> families like that. But anyway. Well played, yeah. Bill. You're up to 30 games now on your top 10 list. <laughs> <laughs> kind of got the general idea. <laughs> well, until you spewed off 15 extra games at the end of your list, my next one was original. But uh, in that vein... One of mine was Command and Conquer. Uh, so I actually nice. played Command and Conquer a ton. My brother and I both had computers in our rooms and we would land them together and just play against each other. <laughs> Even just the original. I think Red Alert gets the most fanfare and it's yeah. a good game, but we played the original a ton and Tiberian Sun. Really love those games. Casey got a hold that's of my awesome. list and she wrote number zero, Command and Conquer Red Alert. Oh, that's <laughs> she awesome. was like, I can't, believe, I can't believe Command and Conquer Red Alert's not on your top oh. ten list. I was like, I never really played it. So that's like, amazing. She played it with her brother, Christopher. Oh, cool. Like a yeah. lot when they, when they were young. And so that's, Nuclear that's missiles. Her, that's her number one. <laughs> Here, here's a fun little fact. Command and Conquer is on uh, Noble Knight. And they have a video game section, and they have a bunch oh, of older cool. games. Really? On it. And yeah, on their top ones or the are like is, five of those the games. The trick is getting it to play on your modern computer. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there's a port somewhere. Exactly. That's awesome. All right. So this is another one, another shooter that maybe a lot of people won't know, except for maybe just the name of it. Red Faction. Oh, yeah. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. It's a, a lesser-known shooter, I guess, on the Destructible PS2. environments, right? Yes. That was one of the coolest things about this game. The story mode, honestly, was eh. Yeah. But, man, we had a group of friends that all, we all owned the game, and we would all get together and play. I mean, hours and hours and hours multiplayer. Because <laughs> this was basically before your console was connected to the internet. So we would just play four-player multiplayer. Like, yep. Just for hours Four and hours script, and hours. Split screen. That was the other thing about, about these games. You didn't have all these shields and everything. And the guns, they just did one thing. There was like a semi-automatic rifle that was very unique. It was just a regular pistol. You could also get rocket launchers. <laughs> and the rocket launchers were amazing. <laughs> because you would shoot a rocket right past somebody. But if you aimed it at their feet, you could blow up the ground around them. And the area effect would kill them. And man, I would play this game right now if I could. So good. Red Faction. That's a good one. And then you just respawn and just keep playing. You know, (laughs) It's great. That's awesome. All right. Number six for me. I don't have many multiplayer games on my list. I just mentioned Halo 3. And this would would be the other one. And this one squeaks in just in front of it. Just because for me, when I think about a multiplayer video game, something that you play with somebody else, this is the game that always comes to my mind. And that's Contra. 
Oh yeah. Oh, wow, I should yeah, play yeah. this in my birthday getaway. You did. You beat it several times. I did. <laughs> Contra. I've just played. I've definitely played through Contra more than any other game ever. I just played it so much as a kid. I got so good at it. Actually, my claim to fame. This is not a lie. I am not lying right now. So you know how everybody knows the thirty man code. Right. Play code. I, That's for I, wimps. I, I but if you want to finish the game, you can do that. If you beat Contra, the game will restart slightly harder. Okay. So one night in college, I didn't have anything going on. It was like a Friday night, and I was playing Contra, and I was pretty good at it at that point. I played through Contra on three lives five times oh my God. before I finally lost out. <laughs> that is so crazy. And by that time, there are so many guys on the f- screen that it's hard to stay alive. But <laughs> I was just in the zone, man. Yeah. I, I will just always remember that because I just kept going through it. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going again. Beat it the third time. I'm like, I guess I'm going to keep going, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and got through it five times on three lives That's so before crazy. I finally just couldn't hang anymore. But wow. Contra, man, it is a great game. That was on my list. And I thought it was going to be in yours, but I, I, I took it off. Thinking it would be. <laughs> yeah, there's games that get you in a flow state that are yes. very right, and that's. I mean, there's just that's one that. Can if do you that. get the spread gun and you're mm-hmm. in the zone, you are unstoppable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next one, whatever number it is, is uh, Mech Warrior Two. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it was. Oh, yeah, I played. I played Mech Warrior. Did you? Yeah. yeah. There's a whole universe and a whole subculture out there that is super super into it battletech's a real-time strategy part of it but the cool part about that one was it had a great storyline mode the first one did mech warrior one did and a mech warrior two sort of did but there's a universe where there's princes and different kind of factions that are all fighting for different things but a lot of them you're a mercenary who has these giant mechs which are basically like transformers that you get inside of and walk around and you form these teams and you outfit your mechs with different kind of things like lasers and missiles and PCM cannons that all have different effects on different people. MechWarrior 2, to me, was one of the best ones because it was good about salvage in that when you fought somebody, you really would aim for the legs or go for a headshot because you would get the salvage of their mech and you could use it to build your own or use your chassis or whatever, which was Mm. super, super cool. The ones after that kind of just gave you random salvage. So after you killed them, it didn't really matter, which ended up kind of a downgrade. Yeah, it was. It was a horrible downgrade. But the MechWarrior 2, I played that so much. And I had a multiplayer part that was pretty good. But that's kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Circle of Death. Have you heard of that? But that's some some games suffer from that when you're, especially when you're a machine. But if you're in two mechs and you're trying to kill each other, you would end up in a circle and you both have like a turning radius. Oh, you're just strafing <laughs> around each other. You just end up in a circle trying to get the angle on the next person. And if you're the first one to back out, he gets the first shot on you kind of thing. So anyway, it's very cool. I messed around with that game a little bit. I don't think I ever got fully into it, but we had it. I messed around with it. All right. I said this was going to be pretty Nintendo heavy. Oh, wait, actually, no, I, I skipped one. Yeah, no, I went past one. Because I had to shift into Command and Conquer because Bill spoiled mine. <laughs> Sorry. So one more PC game to mention here. <laughs> this is another classic, goofy one. Lemmings. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Played the heck out of this game also. <laughs> Was so bad at it. And it's just it's really hard at times. But yeah, love this one. Oh, so that's awesome. This is where they're trying to run off the cliff and kill right. themselves or something? Yeah, so you have this... Like some number of lemmings is programmed to come out of a hole in the wall and they go across this board and you can assign roles to different lemmings. You can make one a parachute lemming or you can make one a digger. (laughs) And so you need to make them dig through things and create tunnels or climb up like you can make them climb. 
but you only have a certain number of those roles that you can assign to various <laughs> lemmings, right? So you're trying to use the lemmings as, and they're, you know, walking back and forth and running off ledges and stuff. So you're trying to like get as many of them as you can to the goal without killing them all. Right. And so you have a, an acceptable limit of lemmings that you can kill before you start to lose points or whatever. But mm. yeah, many iterations of this game have come and gone, but the original one played it a lot. It's a lot of fun. That was hard too. It is I, hard. I did play yeah. It was like, it's very hard. All right. So number five for me, you guys are going to appreciate this. The Witness. Oh, yeah. Uh, this yeah. is the best puzzle game I've ever played. Yeah, that was man. my number one. So. Oh, wow. You're going to go ahead and say? I, I will say it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. But I, I will switch up my number one because I actually had 11. So I will shift that one. <laughs> and, uh, you pull a different 11? One yeah. And all wow. this shade for Bill. Oh, Seriously. my. It's mainly because I miscounted, not because I intended to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the, witness, one, the witness was incredible. You guys, I think, had witnessed to me about it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, man, you got to play this game. I think you'll love it. I got it for the iPad. So I think y'all were playing it on your phone. I, I think it's, it was too, I played on the Switch. a little too fiddly for the... For I the played iPad. it on my phone. I would not recommend it. It yeah. made my phone turn into a torch. And yeah. <laughs> it made the battery die in about five minutes every yeah. time I played wow. it. But This is one that I think I would really like to play on the PC or, yeah. or the Switch or something like that. But the general idea it's one of these similar to where you just plop into an environment and Mm -hmm. you walk around and you're like what am i supposed to do in this game and the game doesn't tell you i love it i love that type of thing and it leads you into teaching you a bit of how to solve the puzzles in the game which are kind of all on these you you end up walking to all these consoles and it just presents you with a puzzle and it has something to do with you drawing a line in the right lane i guess in, in the right path but as the game progresses, the puzzles get more and more complicated. Yes. And they start to layer on top of each other. And then they know. just, well, they get really complicated, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I won't give anything away, yeah. but that's when it gets awesome. Or very cool. different. Yes. Cool. There's a turning point that happens in the game <laughs> where when you discover something, you're like, oh my gosh. You know, yeah. and that's yeah. all we could say about it, I guess. These guys know what I'm talking yeah. about, but you're like, what? And, and but that- even, even before that happens, I mean, I can't count the number of times my mind was blown of like, okay, all these puzzles are like a five by five grid where you're drawing a line. And I'm like, surely they can't come up with another way to do <laughs> <Right>. this. <laughs> right. But they're all brilliant. Yeah. And super fun and super interesting to figure out. And it's cool. it's all the same concept of puzzle, but then they start to iterate on it so right. much that you will just say you have to start paying very close attention. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll walk up to a to a puzzle and there will be no clues at that all. Is the, that is it's the coolest thing about this game. Thing, and you know you have to figure out how to draw the line, but you don't know where the source of the truth about the path is going to come from. Right. And so you have to just maybe leave it and come back later or yep. something like that. The way the game teaches you the rules through the puzzles that mm-hmm. it presents you is fascinating to me. Yeah. Somebody could like do a study on this game of how it trains your brain to yeah. like yes. learn things because it gives you no rules. Right. There's it, no vocals, it never there's explains no a single thing to you about yeah. how to play the game except through the puzzles that it gives yeah. you and it slowly unravels how to do it and it's you're like a you're like a lab mouse in an increasingly complex maze. almost literally <laughs> i mean it really is yeah you're like is the game playing me right now what's happening yeah, yeah. so the witness now that we've talked about it i'm almost ashamed that there are four other games for me to talk about but it's <laughs> a good one I, I think i'm gonna keep it at five okay 
All right, number five for me, going to the PlayStation 2 on this one. This is one of the first series of games that really started to encourage meaningful stealth in an action-adventure genre. Mm. And I prefer the second one to the first one because the first one has pretty bad graphics, although it's a good game too. But the second one is Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Snake. Oh, man. It is a great great game. game. It took Metal Gear Solid, which was a good game, Mm -hmm. but had really crap graphics, to be quite honest, and made it look awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's just fun. Not to mention, and this is true of all the games, really fun boss fights. (laughs) You know? Crazy boss fights. I don't think this one was in Metal Gear Solid 2, but you actually fought a guy who was like a swarm of bees. Mm -hmm. It's called The Pain. He had like bees swarming around him he would send them at you is that was that from three i think that was snake eater yeah but then you got fat man who's like this guy riding around on roller blades and all kinds of crazy crap (laughs) but man the game is just fun and i played through it several times when i was young just because i really enjoyed yeah doing the level differently because you could yeah (laughs) yeah getting spotted good stuff metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty good choice i'm Played that and loved it as well. I'm transitioning into my land party ones now. All right. Um, so I used to rent our clubhouse, and you had a, a group of guys that I think the most we ever had was 20 uh, that would come down and bring a Cisco router and bring our laptops. And I'm going to call out Half Life in this one. Ah. Uh, um, just because I played this. Yeah. So it, Valve. Valve, Gordon Freeman, yeah. uh, Black Mesa kind of thing. I'm going to say some games in here that's going to make you mad. Uh, <laughs> Half-Life was just great as far as a story one. But for our land parties, we had Return to Castle Wolfenstein that had Gasworks and the D-Day Landing and Eagle's Nest. That was just the bomb to play. But anyway, but that's, that's it. It's a good one. Cool. All right. Well, now moving into the N64 era. <laughs> so the Nintendo 64 has to be like the golden era of yeah. my video gaming career history. <laughs> yeah. I still remember the anticipation of this system coming out and Super Mario 64, which should be on this list, but is not just because it's one of those ones that everybody would talk about. Actually, all but one of the games that's on here are pretty well-known ones, but they're just ones that fit a particular niche in my video gaming history. The first one has to be GoldenEye. Yeah. This is, for me, the multiplayer game. Like I never really played many multiplayer games growing up, but GoldenEye was the one that I played to death. Yeah. My brother and I actually rigged up a, a tiny little seven inch color TV that we had lying around the house. And we built a cardboard console that we put in the back of our minivan and wired <laughs> oh, it up wow. with like one of those power inverters just so we could play GoldenEye against each other on our like 17 hour drives <laughs> to Florida to see my grandparents. Wow. Uh, That's so, awesome. Yeah. Just good memories with this game. Same. It's not on my list. It GoldenEye was one of my honorable mentions, actually. And similar to you, great memories. And I remember this one sticking out particularly because my best friend growing up, his family lived in West Palm Beach, Florida. And I would go with him every spring break down there, and I played with his cousins. Again, that's really what makes this list for me are those moments you remember. Mm -hmm. And I'll just never forget playing GoldenEye with them, eating Ben & Jerry's peanut butter cup ice cream (laughs) on the floor in the living room, Playing Goldeneye, you know? Yeah. Just like a great memory, you know? Yep. All right. So this one's already been mentioned, 
Warcraft 2 is incredibly influential wow. Oh, wow. in my three of y'all. gaming history. Yeah. Yeah. The first real-time strategy game that I ever played. I went on to play a bunch more. I mean, StarCraft. Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle Earth oh, yeah, was, yeah. A, was I, a, I, I think, a pretty good iteration of the genre. Mm. This one was also my first online gaming experience. Mm. They, they had they had Battle.net. You guys remember that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could play against random people, which was insane to me at the time because we were still on dial-up internet. And, and you could get on there and just pair with somebody and... There you go. And, on and, dial-up. And, yeah, and play, <laughs> and play it on, uh, on dial-up. so great. So... <laughs> yeah the voices that, that that was kind of a unique thing actually for mm-hmm. games at the time is a lot there were not a lot of audio recordings not a lot of times when a game would talk to you because mm-hmm. this was back in like the 90s right like Warcraft i know that you have some of the orc voices oh, yeah, like, yeah. saved up that's <laughs> <laughs> master <laughs> what, what would they say if you click and that was the thing if you click on the guys a bunch you would iterate through all of their things right. and if you click on the ship he's like stop rocking the boat you're making me seasick <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's awesome yeah. oh, I, I, we i mean we would make we would reference those all the time uh i could go on about it but i won't warcraft 2 uh that's a good one I'm starting to get into the ones that everybody knows, but they had to be on my list just because they're special to me. This one, again, is a genre. It's, well, it's a series of which there are way more than six, but in my opinion, the first six are the best. They're the oldest. They hold up to this day. They're clean, and they're hard as nails, and when my kids play them, I love it because they suck at them. I know what you're going to say. And that's Mega Man. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. And my favorite is Mega Man 2. Dude. It is the best. Yeah. Mega Man 3 is close. That's but my Me- next game. My, okay. We'll just go ahead and Let's get it Let's go together there. then. Mega Man 2 has one of the best soundtracks in video gaming, hands down. We've yeah, talked about easily. Big Brigade on here doing the Mega Man yeah. 2 run. Playing through the whole game on their guitars and drums, but man, the gameplay is just good. Golly. It's so tight. It's crazy how, you know, sometimes the old Nintendo games can feel clunky and cheap, mm-hmm. right? Mega Man 2 is just precise. Yep. If there you die, it you is have, your fault. There are times that you have to move him to where one pixel your of toe his, is of his on the block. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you can manipulate that. I think Mega Man will just always be up there. For me, the Mega Man oh, 2 yeah. is my favorite of those. Awesome. It's definitely up there for me, too. Wow, I've not played that one. You never played Mega Man? I've never played Mega oh, Man. Oh, my Man. goodness. Maybe three for me a little more so than two. The, but The moment that good. I realized that the key to these games is that you have to do the bosses in a specific right. order in order to get the power to beat the guy, to beat the next one. And that once you actually attack the dude with the thing that he's weak against, <laughs> yeah. it's like a super easy boss fight. It's, it's probably too easy, but yeah. But it's one of those things where, like, until it was all, like, published online, you actually had to sit there and play figure through all out. the levels and figure out how to get to the boss and then die a bunch and then realize which one you actually had to attack him with. Yeah, and then when it gave you the password to save your game, it would be oh. like this grid with these little red balls and all these many... different spots. You had to draw the grid and draw the circles. I don't and... know how many times <laughs> I would come back to the Nintendo and be like, no, no, where is it? Where's my piece of paper? What are you talking about? Why did you leave all your trash in front of the TV? <laughs> no, Mom! <laughs> Bob, you threw away my password. You already vacuumed in front of the screen and killed me, and now you've thrown my sheet away. Wow. <laughs> you know how many hours that was, Bob? You're the worst, Bob. That's awesome. 
Yeah. All right. Okay. Continuing in my land party theme, um, another one of the games we'd rotate in was Unreal Tournament 2004. Oh, man. Okay. So I have to reference one of the maps on there. There's a map called Face that basically has two towers on this chunk of land floating in space. And it's the best sniper map ever created because <laughs> there's like eight stories to this tower. You can walk around ledges on the outside or different places to hide on the inside and capture the flag. So, one group from one part of the tower has to cross this killing field in the middle, <laughs> uh, you know, hopping along, which I guess was the strategy back then, is everybody bounced everywhere to make it harder to hit. Uh, they uh, still do that. It's all right. Yeah. Called bunny hopping. Yeah, bunny hopping. Absolutely bunny hopping all the way across and just had so much fun playing with the guys. They had a rocket launcher there called the Redeemer that you could actually drive kind of things. I don't know if they do that still, but uh, you could rocket hop. So when you oh, yeah, you can do like, that now. Yeah. You, you can shoot your rocket across this huge space, and you can jump on top of it, run along the side of it, and you can hop on top of the rocket all the way across uh-huh. and then jump off the My kids it's, do that in Fortnite, and they think they're super cool, and I'm like, that's already been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so, not cool. Right, the original Doom. original <laughs> Doom did that. Anyway, my whatever number that was. <laughs> Four. All right. This is a super well-known one, but it holds a very special place in my heart. Another N64 game. Ocarina of Time. Oh, boy. Yeah, I have to mention this one. I wonder when the Zeldas are coming. Yeah, this is the only one on the list, but this is still holds up. I mean, the graphics are terrible <laughs> if you go back and look at them now, but I remember when this game was announced, just being so excited, like sitting in class in school and yeah. just like daydreaming about the day this game was going to come out and I could go play it, go to the mall, <laughs> buy it at Electronics Boutique. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Babbage's. Yeah, this was probably the first, like, I'm not going to call this game an open world game because it's not. I mean, it's close. It it makes itself out to be, but it's pretty scripted in terms of you're going to go here and then you're going to go here and then you're going to go here. It's no Breath of the Wild, right? But it was the first game of that type that I had ever played where it's like there's things way off in the distance and like you're going to get there eventually, right? Just holds a very special place to me. I'm a huge Zelda fan in general. I'm debating whether I want to try to play Tears of the Kingdom or not, but we'll see. Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Nice. Sweet. Played that one. Well, my number three is definitely Mega Man 2. I will honorably mention first game. One of the first games that I actually completed all the way to the end was Portal. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, That's an an honorable mention. It's a, it's a fun one. Another puzzle. Cake is a lot. Type of game. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I was going to say about it. It's going to be quick. All right, cool. All right, following on Jason's heels here, you know the Zeldas are having to come out. This is a series that, in my honest opinion, I feel like has really lost its way over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. Hot take for me, and I unapologetically say that I think Breath of the Wild is hot garbage. I hate it. (laughs) I never finished it. I got about halfway through. I got so angry at it because... As uh, James on Dad's on a map likes to say, the juice was not worth the squeeze in that one. What broke me was I got, I think, like my 500th Deku nut, of which there were like 900 and something. I was like, I'm going to get something cool. And I got like an extra item slot. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I was like, you do all this work for minimal reward, I feel like, in that Mm. game. But getting back to a game that's not that way that I think is good and is the best Zelda game is A Link to the Past Mm. on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. The pinnacle of Zelda, in my opinion. It is the best to me. Difficult puzzles, a bigger world than you expect Mm -hmm. because you beat it, or you think you do, 
and then it opens up a whole nother phase, oh, wow. the dark world, where mm. there's even more. There's like eight more dungeons after that, which I thought was really cool at the time. And I think I told the story on here before, but really quickly, this is one of the times that my dad has ever got the maddest at me because I ran up a huge Nintendo power bill because yeah. of this game. <laughs> right. Pre-internet, couldn't look up any help, and I called Nintendo Power so many times. I can't remember how much it was, but it was a lot. My dad was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll always remember that. Uh, you're going to be weeding for days, buddy. Uh, but that's a, yeah, that's a fantastic game. Link to the Past, number three. We played that one on an emulator. We never had it as Super Nintendo, but we played that one on the yeah. Super Nintendo emulators. Yeah. I'm guessing this is going to be the only MMORPG out here, but I'm going to say this one just because it has a place in my heart because we had a bunch of guys that were doing it for a while, even though I was horrible at it. But uh, World of Warcraft. Okay. You guys... I never that. played it. I nope. played for yeah. like a little bit in college while it was free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a tour. And to me, I have a, it's kind of like you with the other one. I have a love-hate relationship with it because it can very easily turn into a second job kind of thing. I, I chose a magic user Torin that my other skill was herbology or something. So for me to do my spells and do things, I had to go around and pick plants, right? Mm -hmm. And I just kind of got bored with that. (laughs) I was like, you know, I could really be doing something more fun than this. But there's some instances there when you're playing with your buddies and you're going after the boss creatures and going through whatever dungeons, they did the pulling aggro Mm -hmm. kind of thing right. Cool. All right. What are we on now? We're on two, man. This is it. Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, my list is not a top 10 of this is my second favorite game of all time, but it is a good one. Last N64 game on the list has to be Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, wow. Have you, has wow. anybody played this I've game? I've not played Banjo. So I would argue... I was a Donkey Kong kind of... Yeah. yeah, I would argue of the Rare games, so Rare Games was a developer, um, also did Metroid Prime, mm. some of those other ones before they kind of mysteriously disappeared and lost their relationship with Nintendo. But Banjo-Kazooie was by far my favorite. It was one of their first, might have been the first. And it's in the style of like Super Mario 64, Mm -hmm. so 3D platformer. I would argue that it's almost better than Super Mario 64. Mario 64 has like the cachet and the name recognition, and it's a great game. And it has the magic associated with all Mario games. But Banjo-Kazooie, from a storyline perspective, music, art direction, all that stuff, and, and gameplay even, Fantastic three-dimensional platformer game through and through. Just really creative, funny, all that stuff. Great game. I still want to play this one. This is on Switch eShop. Yeah. Okay. I should get it. It's a good one. Yeah. The graphics are pretty dated at this point, as are all N64 games. But it was was pretty top-notch at the time. And I remember part of why this stands out to me is I went to some event over the summer in high school, or it might have been middle school, and it was in... Harrisburg, where my grandmother lives. So I had to stay with my grandmother for like a week and a half, which, you know, my grandmother's <laughs> great, but she went to bed super early and I didn't have anything else to do. So I was just like <laughs> sitting out on her porch. I took the N64 with me. I just played the death out of this thing. <laughs> um, it was awesome. So That's awesome. It, Good memory. Yeah. Fun. All right. This one's not going to surprise anybody, but my number two is Skyrim. Oh, yeah. I knew this was coming for you. I had several friends that were like, Cameron, don't play this game. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're never going to want to put it down. Yeah. And man, I have played the heck out of Skyrim. (laughs) I've probably restarted the game, I don't know, five or six times just to start and just try again. Because 
I feel like this game offers nearly endless possibilities yeah. for how to shape your experience in the game, right? Because it is this sandbox thing. You can go anywhere. You can emphasize a different skill this time. Yeah. You know, if you want to wield two weapons, weapon and a sword, right. weapon and magic, all, all magic, bow, like yeah. all magic, whatever you can do your alchemy, like where you are picking plants and it, mm. it actually is kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You can get your one handed up beyond, to a hundred and one hit everybody. Right. And beyond <laughs> and beyond that, there's so much stuff to do. Right? Yeah. You can buy a house. Like mm-hmm. and then beyond that, like, like you yeah, you could get married. <laughs> the scenery, honestly, yeah. Like, is what blew me away about that game. I've played it on the PS3, the Xbox, and the and the PS4. Do you know <laughs> like, there's a uh, it's such a good game. It is. There's a hack for it to do it in VR. I have it in VR. And oh my god, that would wow. be fun. It, it, it looks good. Yeah. But yeah, like when you climb to the top of a mountain and it's dawn and you look out over the mountains and there's dragon flying through the sky and there's you know and oh, the music so is incredible. Oh my goodness, I don't know how many hours I've sat writing code listening to the Skyrim soundtrack. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, wow. dude, I hear it's you. so good. I I could go on, but I won't. I love Skyrim. I was always bad about carrying too much stuff. Because if you go overweight, you go really slow. Oh, yeah. And then I discovered that if you got married, your wife would carry stuff for you. Oh. So I used oh, no. her as like a mobile treasure chest. <laughs> <laughs> so I carried like twice the stuff. But yeah. then Bryce played my game and got my wife killed. <laughs> and so I lost all my stuff. Oh, my God. I was like, Bryce, I didn't care that she was dead. I was like, but my stuff. <laughs> All my stuff was in her. She had all my stuff. Wow. <laughs> oh, You're a terrible human being. Oh, that's really funny. Oh, man. Good times. All right. Number two. This one for me, well, with the exception maybe of my number one, obviously, but maybe this one does a better job of this. Memorable games for me are games that make you feel completely immersed in the world and you almost get lost in it. And that's a combination of amazing graphics and amazing soundtrack, mm-hmm. of which this one has both. When I think about this game, I don't think as much about the gameplay, although it's excellent, but I just think about how it made me feel mm-hmm. when I was playing it, and that's Hollow Knight. Oh, man, oh, yeah. Wow. Hollow Knight is so good. The <clears throat> gameplay is great. The fighting, the bosses are all great. It's great. It's an awesome Metroidvania, but the aesthetic of Hollow Knight mm-hmm. is just top tier, mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly. That's why I think about it is because it was a world I was in, you know, yeah. I really enjoyed. So but- number two for me. The developers have finally come back online and started reporting information because Silk Song is the follow-up to Hollow yeah. Knight, and it was announced a long, long time ago, like pre-pandemic, I think. And then the developers just fell off the map, and nobody knew what happened. Mm-hmm. There's finally, word has started coming back out. They've said it's not going to release in 2023, but it's scheduled to come out pretty soon, and they're still working on it. So. Wow. Good news for oh. Hollow Knight fans out there. Great right. game. This is a this is a top tier game for me too. Not on either of y'all's. Should, I'm surprised. Should have been on my list. It was on my honorable mentions mainly because again, I pushed some of these ones off that I knew other people were going to mention. Yeah, that I wanted to make room for other stuff. So it's my yeah, number it's one game. Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to say it now since we're already talking about it. Yeah. It's my number one game. Okay, I, my experience with this game was I was recovering from a surgery, so I had plenty of time to devote to it. And man, yeah, dude, it. I mean, it's magical. I've, ne- I've just never, I've never played a game like it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people may not know Metroidvania, but like I had never played one before. So this whole thing of like, well, maybe you don't have whatever you yeah. need in order to pass through that area yet. Either you're getting killed or you literally physically can't get your dude right. to, to move past the thing. Just turn around and go back and mark the map. Yep. Right. That whole thing. Just incredible. I don't think I 
100%ed the happy path, like, oh, end, the- ending of the game. I got the sad ending of the game. Yeah. The happy path ending of the game is really hard. And it's awesome, and it's worth it, but it is hard. You fight the Radiant, and right. it's no joke. Right. Let me tell you. So, and, and like, combat in that game is incredible. It's one of those other ones. Like, it's very finely tuned. It is. It's like, tight. Yeah. It's definitely not sloppy. If you get hit, it's because you were in the way. Yeah. Right? And you and I talk about Christopher Larkin's soundtrack oh, all the time. That's another Fantastic. one I've, I've listened to so many times just to enjoy the soundtrack. It's yeah. so good. When you so agree, fun. Bill, it's great. I haven't. I've played it. <laughs> that's, that's one of the ones I have to, you have to remember the map or something. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I, can't, I can't get through this. I think that's one of the biggest complaints with Hollow Knight, honestly, is that it doesn't hint you very well in the early game as to where the heck you're supposed to go. But mm-hmm. I love that. I love yeah, that I about too. games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I played Tomb Raider where they did that too, and I was like, I've spent so much time lost in Tomb Raider. It was killing me. All right, my next one is Lone Echo. The Never VR. heard of this? Yeah, no. it's a VR. Is that the dolphin game where you no. swim around as a dolphin on Sega. <laughs> Echo the dolphin. Yeah. No, no, not, not a dolphin game. But you're on a spaceship and you are a maintenance robot with the captain. And like, there's something that's gone on with the ship set in the far future sci-fi, and the graphics on it are just phenomenal. And I was super concerned that I would get nauseated in this one. This one, I don't know what they do, but it is absolutely amazing about moving around. You've got thrusters on your hands that you can engage on either hand to to move around. And you can grab things as you move through the ship and pull yourself through. But you're in zero G. And just different things happen on the ship that need to get fixed. And there's some growing mystery that the captain's panicking about. And Mm -hmm. she's trying to engage you to help get things fixed and you're going into these dangerous areas that they can't go in because they're a human and you're like a robot and and just oh oh, the drama in it's really cool and then like when you're you're doing spacewalks that are outside and you're seeing a planet outside and just like some of these other spatial phenomena that's happening as you're looking around when you're in vr you're just viscerally there Mm -hmm. wow that's cool it is it is a super super cool i heard someone commenting (laughs) that he believes that we're on the very very early stages of vr becoming like the best video game experience ever. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, it would be fun to have you guys just play some opening sequences on this or, or mm. you know, take it for the night or something because it is absolutely cool. Lost Echo. Cool. cool. Lone Echo. Lone Echo. Lone Echo. All right. Well, my number one, as we talked about already, was The Witness. Oh, right. And that is pretty high up there on my actual top 10 list, mm-hmm. I would have to say. But because I accidentally put 11 games on my list, I will mention another one. This is another one, Chris, that you need to play at some point. That's Hades. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this has been on my hit list for a while. This is a roguelike. It's like all the Greek gods, right? So you are the son of Hades. I'm trying to remember now. It's been a little while since I played (laughs) it, and it's been even longer since I've talked about Greek mythology. But (laughs) you're basically trying to escape the underworld and get out from underneath your dad's rule. But just a phenomenally well-put-together roguelike and has some cool like surprise moments and then the dialogue in this game it's like the story just keeps going and going and going you're like surely the story has ended now there's not i can't talk to this person again and get new information but it just keeps going and going and going so many different characters and different paths and power-ups and things that you can get very cool that was cool this is the first real roguelike that i ever played and so really enjoyed this one awesome definitely not my number one game of all time but it's up there and so I got to mention my honorable mention. Cool. Yeah. Hollow Knight. Yeah. I was trying to think of another honorable mention, but I'm just going to go with Hollow Knight. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take uh, Cameron's. You're going to take the Cameron's. Cameron's. All right. 
Okay, before my number one, quick honorable mentions. Goldeneye, we already mentioned. Elden Ring, just mm. missed the list. A wow. Great game, but not quite there. The Resident Evil series, I really enjoy, particularly Resident Evil 4 is very good. That's actually my number 11, okay. just mm. off the list. Great game. Kingdom Hearts 1. The rest of the Kingdom Hearts games are bad, but mm. the first one is pretty good. Final Fantasy Tactics. Nice. Final Fantasy 9. Underrated. Final Fantasy 9 is incredibly underrated, yeah. Super underrated. One of the best characters in Final Fantasy ever, the Black Mage Vivi. Yes. Awesome. And it kind of got back to its roots of like castles and knights and mm. got away from kind of the cyberpunky machine stuff. But I don't hate that. Because mm-hmm. my number one. There you go. Is Final Fantasy 7. Okay. The original, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. This is a lot of people's number one. I know that. The, but yeah, and th- I would include the remake in this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think the remake is really well done. I'm sure the gameplay's a lot different. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not turn based, it's real time. Right. But when you cast a spell, time slows down and you go into okay. menus. Okay. So it is very reminiscent okay. and it has a materia system, a lot like right. 7 did it. Okay. So it's similar. But yeah, Final Fantasy VII, it just hit me at the perfect time. Right. It was like 1996-97. It's like a young teen. Got this kind of awkward dude who's in this love triangle with these two really <laughs> hot girls. And I'm like, dude, just pick one. You know, they're like both awesome. And he's bumbling around like an idiot. But yet, it's still fun playing through his story because mm-hmm. it's really story. And I mean, Final Fantasy has one of the best villains of all time, Sephiroth. Mm-hmm. People don't even know what Final Fantasy is. When they hear One Winged Angel, know that that's Sephiroth. Right. <laughs> He's just identifiable, mm-hmm. iconic, really, as a villain. Just so many cool things about the game. The story just sucked me in. I think one of the reasons why it was so successful is I think it was Westerners' first like real exposure to the RPG genre. Oh, like we yeah. had Dragon Warrior, which mm-hmm. is Dragon Quest, and there was Final Fantasy two and Final Fantasy three on Super Nintendo. But I feel like Final Fantasy seven is really where RPGs kind of like video yeah, game took RPGs hold. Right. took yeah. hold in the mainstream consciousness of Americans, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was one of them. And just cool. got me, man. Final cool. Fantasy seven probably will be my forever number one. I Very played cool. until the beginning of disc three. And my dad made me turn it off, so I never oh, got no. to finish it. Oh, really? <laughs> Literally. Why? Because it was scary and <laughs> weird. Wicked monsters and yeah. love triangles. Yeah. I need to give this one another I'm, shot. I'm Team Tifa, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need to give it another shot. I downloaded the original on the Switch with the original graphics and all that stuff and had a hard time getting into it just because the graphics are so oh, terrible. they're so bad. Yeah. Cutscenes are good. I would love to try the updated version on. It's good. If I ever get a PS5. It only goes through. It's weird. Literally like a third of the game. It barely even gets through disc one. Oh, right. So I don't know where they're going to go from here. Because there's a lot left. Right. But it's worth playing. That's cool. Cool. Yep. Bring us home, Bill. All right. right. Quick honorable mentions. Did any of you guys ever play tower defense games? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was kind of funny. Uh, I thought that might be in, in, in computer this group. games. Uh, def- I, I, that yeah. would be my honorable mention. Uh, yeah, Tower Defense. Yeah, mm-hmm. Defense Grid Awakening is a really good one. Okay. Really good graphics and stuff like that. Anybody play Army Men? No. Blue Green Army Men? Right? Yes. This was a console game. Yeah, it was console. Yeah, PC yeah. game too. Mm-hmm, first problem. Mm-hmm. That was very fun. Faster Than Light, FTL. 
Is this where Bill just gets to list off 30 more games? <laughs> no, no, because no, no. Let me see that paper. He, Bill. Did, he did four games. Yeah, well, I will only ask this on the last <laughs> one. Mine was Kingdom Rush. That was Kingdom the oh, okay. Well, the other one I was kind of surprising it was like fighting games. Did you guys play like Virtua Fighter or like a Street Fighter? Street Mortal Fighter. Kombat too. Mortal Kombat. Because Virtual Fighter was like the first one that I saw that I really was amazed with what computer graphics could do. Yeah. The whole floating camera around in the center ring. I remember Virtual Fighter. Yeah. yeah, it was absolutely amazing. All right, my number one game is uh, the VR game Alex, which is in the Half Life universe. So uh-huh. Alex is a relative of Gordon Freeman. Gordon Freeman has disappeared. You're in a city that's right outside the Black Mesa. And in the opening scene, you're going through this dystopian universe where there's there's soldiers that are going around. And the first apartment that you go into, the glass is all broken. Everything looks horrible. You look out the window and you see the War of the Worlds kind of three tripod things going around, stringing power cables around. Yeah. And it gives you just this awesome ominous feeling yeah. that you have no idea what's going on but it's something big <laughs> and the, the world's you, ending the world's kind of ending and you've got this holy crap moment that you know that you're going to have to cross the city for some reason that's coming later uh, and go through all this stuff and you know the aliens are out there and they're you know the face huggers and stuff like that <laughs> but um they do a great job of mixing humor and i don't know sci-fi stress sort of thing because you have a, a guy that you're talking to back at your home base in your ear all the way through. And he kind of talks you through things, which is super nice sometimes because it makes you feel more comfortable going into really scary places. And it really makes a huge difference when all of a sudden he disappears and you're in a really scary place. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in VR and it's all the way around you, I mean, it is it is uh, it's cool. impactful. Wow. So anyway, Alex is... Are you saying awesome. Alex or Halix? A-L-Y-X. It's oh, Alex. 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 Okay. So... Anyway, but it's kind of the quest by Gordon Freeman. All right. Well, now that we've done an entire episode <laughs> worth of video game talk, we're making it up to you're, you all. You're, right? you're, you're first, it's uh, a double feature. This is like secret cabal gaming podcast. First list, top, top 10 list from the Hidden Gems guys, which includes 700 games. <laughs> right. Not board games. Oh. Awesome. Well, <laughs> now what? We better get going. So do you guys want to get into the board games that you guys picked <laughs> let's do it let's get into the game <laughs> you are right my son both in your thought and your action you understand the nature of people who have chosen you to govern and the grandeur of the office you have received from them this was the way in which we and our forefathers made rome great by putting the honor in the service of our country before those of our own parents and children. Fabius Maximus, return to Rome in all its glory. Walk in the footsteps of Rome's elite. In Quo Vadis, you play one of Rome's mighty patrician families in a power struggle that will decide the destiny of Rome and ultimately the world. To win, your candidate must navigate the treacherous political waters of the empire and master the Senate. Do you understand the meaning of Quo Vadis Maximus? <laughs> father to a murdered wife. Husband to a murdered wife. Yeah, not father to father a murdered to wife. A murdered son. <laughs> what, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, awesome. Quo Vadis. You guys know what Quo Vadis means? Please elaborate. I looked it up in Latin. Means whither goest thou, or will you go? 
or like where are you going, yes. my lord? What is depending your intention? On, yeah, depending on the translation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Quovatus, published in 1992. Did y'all know that? No. Oh, that's a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 1992. The artwork suddenly makes so <laughs> yeah. sense. By Mayfair, Hansem Gluck, and Amigo. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 2,611. Designer of Quovatus is the great Reiner Knizia. This game was recommended by Ultima Ratio, Jay Wowser, and Tori Larson on our guild, and also received 24 thumbs on the geek list, which is why we are reviewing it, which I think was the most. And I should also mention really quickly, if people are keeping track, there was one game we're not reviewing today that actually had the most thumbs. That's Fresh Fish by Freedom and Freeze. I could not easily acquire that game, unfortunately. So we'll get to it once I acquire it. But that's why we're not doing so that one. So send your copy <laughs> to Chris. Yeah, exactly. Hard to find. All right. Brief rule summary for Quovatus. Quovatus is a game of cunning and negotiation where players are trying to get their player pieces, also known as their senators, to advance from one committee room to the next in order to gain points and to hopefully have at least one of their senators present in the inner sanctum before the game ends. The game board is made up of a series of connected rooms or committees, which are made up of one, three, or five spaces. First, it's important to understand that the game board has a directionality to it. So let me explain. So as I mentioned, the game board is made up by all these rooms that are connected by paths, but the bottom of the board is where your player pieces or your senators enter the board. Begin their political Yeah, when they're peons, right? So they start in the low committees, and then through cunning and negotiation, they're trying to work their way up the board into these higher committees, ultimately to end up in the inner sanctum, which is a five-committee-member room where pretty much all paths ultimately lead, okay? On top of the paths connecting the committee rooms are randomly assigned laurel wreath victory point tokens, which range in value from two points up to five points. If you are able to get one of your senators to advance up a path to the next higher committee room, you pick up that victory point token and add it to your points pile. That token is then replaced by a new randomly chosen, <laughs> randomly chosen victory point token. Randomly chosen. All right, you can do one of three things in your turn. First, you can bring one of your unused senators into play by placing them on any unoccupied space within one of the four committee rooms present at the bottom of the board. So remember, those are the places where your senders enter the board. So they can go into one of those empty rooms if there's a space available. Another action available to you is to advance one of your senators from a committee room to a higher connected committee room if you have the majority support of the committee. So I need to explain this. So in a committee room of size one, If you are in that room, you're the only pawn there, you have the majority, you can advance at your leisure, right? Now, let's consider a committee room of size three. So if you're the only pawn in that room, you might think you have the majority because you're the only one in there, but you don't because in a size three room, there have to be at least two voting people in the room. So if you have two of your people in the room, you have the majority. But what happens if you have a pawn and let's say Cameron as a pawn in that room. Well, nobody has the majority. However, you can negotiate with each other to give somebody a vote. So if I make a deal with Cameron somewhere else on the board or for points, for example, and be like, hey, I'll give you this or that. 
if you'll vote for me to have the majority here so I can advance, you would then have the majority. And it gets even more interesting if it's me, Cameron, and Jason in the room. I would still only need one person's support, but now Jason and Cameron are vying against each other to negotiate with me, maybe, right, depending on the board state. That should give you an idea of what the negotiation looks like. Finally, players also have the option of moving the Caesar token onto any connected path of their choosing. The Caesar token serves two purposes. First, it covers the victory point laurel token present on that path. Any senator that travels along that path can still do so, but will not collect the victory point token. Second, the Caesar token allows a player to advance to a higher committee room in the absence of a majority. So you could be in a room of five people and have the only pawn in there and everybody else has more than you. But if the Caesar token is on a path leading out of that committee, you can advance despite having any sort of majority support. The game ends once all five spaces of the inner sanctum are filled by Senator Pons. Importantly, if you do not manage to get at least one of your senators into the inner sanctum by the end of the game, you cannot win. All players with at least one senator present in the inner sanctum then add up their laurel points, and the player with the most points wins the game. That's generally how you play Quovatus. All right. Good job. So before we get going, I want to mention we had put out a form for folks to submit your review, and we got a handful of responses, but not actually one for this game. So in Mm -hmm. the subsequent reviews, you can expect to hear those comments if you were out there in the audience and you remember submitting a review to form. We we didn't have any about Covada, so I guess no one had had played this one, maybe. So we got to do it the old-fashioned way. That's right. We got to come up with a question here. (laughs) That's right. All right, so I think there are a lot of interesting things to talk about here, obviously. The game is a negotiation game, and obviously we're going to talk about that. But I think where I want to start is one of the things that makes this game a little bit interesting and unique, and it's the in-game trigger. Reiner Knizia occasionally likes to throw these interesting things in his games. High Society comes to mind, actually, where you can just lose if you don't do something. So, for example, in High Society, if you spend the most money in High Society, you just can't win. In Quovatus, also designed by Reiner Knizia, if you don't get a pawn into the inner sanctum, regardless of how well you did and how many points you scored, you cannot win. That is also the end game trigger. So once that topmost room fills with five people, the game is just over. It stops. So that's something you have to consider here as you're playing and making your negotiations of that timing aspect and trying to make sure you're there, right? So how did you guys feel about this in-game trigger and how that played out? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting wrinkle to the game in that it definitely affects how you play. Like I think in the first game that we played of this, Chris, you were just dominating all the spaces at the bottom of the, yes. of the pyramid, right? So that nobody else could get in there and you had the majority in all those rooms. But we were still kind of like negotiating with each other to move beyond that, to like get out of your way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you were feeling some serious pressure towards the end of that round to like even get into the end. Yep. And so it's an interesting balance of like how much do you try to hold on? And we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, but hold on to like strength in a particular room yeah. so that other people are reliant on your help to move forward versus how much do you push forward to ensure that you like have that spot at the end? Because it's I, not it's not like you you don't get anything more for having more than one person in the end room, right? Like you don't right. get points nope. for getting there. Nope. It's just you have to have at least one person there. Right. Right. But that's the peril of the game too, because my inclination the first time I played it was, well, I gotta get in there. 
yeah right? or i'm gonna lose so i gotta make sure that that happens but the problem with i'll say the balance that it forces you to strike is if you get your dude in there you've advanced the game toward its end right right so there is this timing thing of like i need to collect as many points as i can not just figure out what is the absolute most efficient path to get my guy in there because you might be able to do that without scoring basically any points and you get in there great you didn't lose the game but you might not win Mm -hmm. right yeah that's a great point so the games that i played i was always keeping one eye towards trying to like lock somebody out because the other part of that strategy is not only getting your stuff person in but getting more people in there so that you know two or three people in there so somebody else can't and i almost wonder is sort of a i don't call it a red herring but it's super difficult for an individual person to get like three in a four-player game Mm, right because there's five seats in there you can maybe get two and you're usually dependent on everybody else you're you're dependent (laughs) on somebody else so you almost have to be in negotiation with somebody else to say okay let's both of us get into without really saying that across the table because Mm. then then they're not gonna help help both of you do that kind of thing so it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. Yes, you got to get something in there, but as a strategy to knock somebody out of the game, I don't know. I, I still wonder about it. At five players, I think it's a real threat for sure. And I've played at that player count as well. And I think it, it's best at five. And BGG says it's best at five, I think, for that reason, because that threat of getting just knocked out is really real at that player count. But I will say, going back to what Jason said, it is such an interesting choice in this game to try to jump on those inner rooms. I remember Cameron, you were kind of griping about this one game because you were to the left of me and I kept jumping in before you because I was like, oh, well, shoot, I should probably move forward. But if I enter into this committee, if that spot's open, now I'll have the majority in there. And then somebody else would move up. I'm like, oh, shoot, if I jump in here, now I'll have the majority. I don't have to negotiate with anybody. I can just advance. But if you keep putting your guys in at the bottom and you're not advancing, the game can just end on you and you haven't really scored any points. I remember that particular game I'm thinking of Jason, I think only got four people into play and I had like eight and he won because he was just advancing and scoring and I was getting all these majorities. But by the time I could capitalize on majorities, the game was over. Yeah. Right. So you got to like balance that timing aspect. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because we played again and because you were kind of doing the same thing again, because we we're like kids in a, in an elementary school class, like, we literally come into the Chris's game room. We all sit down at the exact same seat. That's like our seat. <laughs> right. But it's funny because in a game like this, that actually affects the game because mm-hmm. it means that you're always playing in the same turn order roughly mm-hmm. or exactly. <laughs> and for, because we had had that, that history in a, and this is in a completely separate game. You weren't even playing that strategy this time. I actually used that as a negotiating tactic. I basically mm-hmm. said, look, all right, it's my turn. Like if you have the chance to place a dude on your turn, <laughs> The agreement here is that you're not going to place a guy there. You're going to let me have it. And you actually had to because, there, yeah. and I don't know if you mentioned this in the rule, but agreements are binding for, for one, one round. Yeah. So in that case, you were actually like, oh, I actually can't place a guy there, even though it's what I want to do. So I have to choose something. Yeah. So it's interesting how the negotiations are sort of this open sandbox of make up whatever you want. And I had a thought mm. that like, I think we maybe didn't fully tap into the potential of that. Like the whole one round limitation is pretty powerful, but we were finding that a lot of the agreements that we were coming up with would take longer than one round, mm-hmm. right? It'd be like, Oh, I'll let you go here. And then you let me go the next time or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever. We never did things like requiring collateral or things that were going to take longer term. So you give me like a two or three point 
point or something like that. Oh, we did that. We did. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Bill and I did that a few times. And, you, and saying like, and I'll give it back when you make good on it. Oh, no. we didn't use it like that. Well, that's it what I was thinking. Fun. It was like you could yeah. require like a lot more points to be like, you're gonna do this, right? Okay, fine. Then prove oh, it. I'll give it back to you when you make good on it, right? <laughs> we could have been doing. We stuff get into like all that. kinds of debates on how how long is that binding. <laughs> 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 but but that but the point is it's like well it's binding as long as you fulfill your side of the thing I'm promising to yeah. give you your your collateral back but like we could have it's a whole like other depth of negotiation strategy that we could have gotten into yeah. makes me kind of curious to try yeah. and, and I want to talk more about negotiation but I realized I forgot one more quick rules thing and then I'll let you go Bill just to add it so people aren't like he didn't mention this so you can negotiate anything points that you're holding I'll do this if you'll do this for me pretty much anything goes but there is one additional thing I forgot to mention is that if you do work out a deal with somebody there are these one point tokens next right. to the board Yep. And for every vote that you give somebody in support, you get one of those one point tokens. So let's right. say we're in a five person room and it's me and Jason has two pawns. He can advance me if he gives me two votes. Mm-hmm. We could make some sort of deal. But for those two pawns, he'll also get two one point tokens. Right. Which also incentivizes deal making as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Forgot yeah. to mention that. Sorry. Yeah. That might go along with what you were going to say, but go ahead. I was going to call that out because I was in explaining Chris's strategy of just piling on the beginning. You might be wondering why. He would try to do that. And that's because the more deals you're involved in, the more points you're gaining. I'm not sure it outweighs the points you're getting from advancing, but it is an interesting side pot, right? To try to go for. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting strategy. Well, I was going to ask Chris when doing that strategy, the Caesar ended up playing a big part of, part of the, how that strategy was going to play out. I was going to ask you what you thought about that. Yeah. We should talk about this because this actually kind of wrecked me in that game. So I was getting a lot of majorities low in the board, and I think I actually had one that had a five-point token on. I was like, sweet, I can move forward. Nobody can stop me. I'm going to get five points. Sweet. And then somebody dropped Caesar on top of it, and I was like, Bill, yeah, it was you, wasn't it? Now I don't get my five points, but even I think more interestingly than that, I don't want to advance because I know I have the majority. I want the points under that. But then everybody in the room with me started advancing and filling up the room in front of me. Right. <laughs> right. To where I can't advance because it's full now. Right. And so the Caesar token can be really vicious in that way and that it can hurt somebody from scoring, but it can also help people move forward and gum up things downstream, basically, if that makes right. sense. So I think Caesar is an interesting play. But I will say, too, I don't feel like it was being used a lot. Maybe that's just our inexperience because it did seem like spending your whole turn just to move Caesar felt like a big sacrifice. I it's don't know. also really risky, right? Because right. you can spend your entire turn to move Caesar. And somebody, if, if you're somebody moving it, it to yeah. something that advantages you in a good way, which usually you are, or disadvantages someone else, they can just spend their turn and move it right back. I mean, mm-hmm. you've wasted an entire turn. Yep. Like, yeah, sure. Maybe you forced one other person at the table to waste their turn the to, other two to, to undo what you just yeah. did. But like, how many times do you want to go back and forth on this? I'm going to move it there. You're going to move it back. I'm right. going to move it there. You're going to move it back. Right. It feels very risky to try to do that. Agreed. Although the two point tokens yes. have the Caesar movement on it. So you can negotiate uh, to yeah. say, hey, that's, let that's me go on this, this, this two. You still get points. And then you put it in a place and you're right. Then you cost, cost somebody. A, I think a, that's a, actually a pretty strong move that we were undervaluing and learning more about i actually started in later games trying to set up myself to be able to move forward on those two point token slash when you get the token you can also move caesar for that reason because i didn't want to spend my whole turn to move caesar but it's nice to be able to move caesar right so if i can 
get two and still move them, that's still pretty good, right? I thought that was a good addition to the game. Yeah. It is, and it's huge, especially when you're, like, wanting to get that last step into the Senate chamber, and, you know, you don't have the majority. Yeah. Just moving it there. I mean, you're forcing somebody else's hand to... You could end the game that way. Right. I was... At both my games, I was trying to do that, and it didn't really work out because I... Truly, it needed to be a five-player game, or mm-hmm. I needed to have somebody else that was thinking along the same lines. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that threat's definitely there. I mean, you could have four out of five sanctum spaces mm-hmm. filled with no majorities going into the sanctum, but if somebody mm-hmm. dropped a Caesar token on one of those paths, it could end, right? right. Which is a threat. Mm-hmm. In the game that Jason won, I was like so poised to win that because I was staring at a four <laughs> and a five and whatever, and I, and I just delayed. But as soon as it passed my turn, everybody else at the table decided we can't let Bills do this and basically ended the game by the time it got around yeah. to me. And it was like, holy cow, how the heck did that happen? Yeah. But you're right. If you drop the Caesar at the entrance to the Senate chamber, truly it could fill in three people that very next yep. turn and you can end a game just like that. Just like that. I think you raise a good point with like the hidden information aspect of this game, right? Because nobody knows how many points you, they can see your chip stack. Right. They don't know how many points you have. And so everybody was targeting Bill because he had a massive chip stack. <laughs> Right. But he had been getting a lot of chips, like little one point chips from like helping other people out in deals. And Bill so loves I, to be involved in those deals. I man. benefited from that <laughs> in that everybody thought Bill was the point leader. And I was like, hey, Bill's the point leader. Let's just end the game. If you guys vote me into the Senate, we'll end the game. <laughs> and they voted me in and I won because I had more higher point value tokens. And I mean, to be fair, I didn't know I was going to win that game for sure. But yeah, I like the hidden point mechanism although i mean it's kind of funny you can watch the points go in and you could do the math in your head if you wanted to and i mean that wouldn't be fun to me necessarily (laughs) yeah good (laughs) luck with that you can do that you're smarter than all it's all all perfect information (laughs) so we've talked about some good things about the game Mm -hmm. like what are some things that you didn't enjoy about this game if any karen what do you think yeah i mean my kind of issue was with feeling like i could get screwed when some players chris uh, (laughs) just keep taking the only available spots and i think in that game i think i managed to get like before say the second half of the game literally two guys out yeah i was was, filling in those lower rooms and the problem the problem with that is if you can't get your guys out there it's not even so much that you're not like advancing and getting all the points you can't be part of deals Right. And you need to be part of deals in order to get the bonus points, in order to get people to negotiate with you and give you their tokens. So it's almost like if you can't get in the game, then you certainly can't win the game. Mm -hmm. So that's tough. And I think I maybe well, I think we we kind of came around on that because you were realizing, well, what I was doing is not the best strategy in in general. And then I was coming around on like, well, maybe I can negotiate my way into board position. So So it's funny. I remember you saying that and I was kind of being empathetic with you because you can kind of like really feel bad, right? I mean, at least to me, there was there were some times when I was playing this game, then instance very similar to you, all the initial places were full and I had basically two places I could move and people were saying, no, I'm not going to take that deal bill we're oh you can move caesar yeah right you have to like, yeah i was gonna sit in my spot forever <laughs> I, i'd still be sitting in the spot until somebody came up and gave me a deal because it was like caesar wasn't gonna do me any good thematically i mean this game and i know we're supposed to be on maybe cons but i mean thematically it's pretty tight because this whole sort of like political negotiation <laughs> manipulation thing is supposed to be kind of brutal right yeah and in that sense in terms of the theme like my dude was getting edged out by the guy who had more influence or whatever. 
Yeah. Or, or well, you were getting literally edged out personally by us because we thought that you had an edge that we didn't have, and so we right. were punishing you, right, socially yeah. and politically. Yeah. So, I mean, thematically, it's pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah, cons for me. I had a hard time coming up with a lot of cons for this game. I I have a couple that I'm not going to mention because I think they're a little nitpicky. But I guess I did experience a couple times, especially the last time we played it. Based on how the pawns come out, you can experience maybe a little bit of partnering in this game that can maybe feel not fun for the other players who aren't involved in the partnership. And I guess what I mean by that is if two players find themselves in a situation where they're in the same rooms together a lot, they can be like, okay, look, if you let me advance here, I'll give you a token. And let's say there's a three point token on the track. You're going to score two. I'm going to score two. I'm not getting ahead of you necessarily, but we're getting ahead of these other three guys. So let's do that. And you can kind of just keep doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And two people can kind of just... Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we just kept yeah. dealing with each other, yeah. right? And we weren't really dealing with you all. And because it was just working out that way, I was going to say I felt bad about it. I didn't really feel bad about it. But <laughs> I could see how maybe that wouldn't be fun if you were on the other end of that where two yeah. people were just kind of like... I mean, I was kind of feeling bad about it as we were doing it because I knew you were ahead of me. And I was like... Did I don't, you? Yeah. I just I knew you were because I was Well, you watching. shouldn't have been doing it then. Well... I uh, thought you thought we were close. I well, thought we were close. I was happy to just be going ahead of them. I kind of was too because I thought Jason was going to do that with me or I was going to get something else that was going to be a similar kind of deal. And like Jason's like, no, I'm not doing that with you. And it's like, what up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, see, this I would out. never say that. <laughs> do you not see how this works? Exactly. So it's like, okay. Just do so, what me and Chris were doing and then you do it. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely see that. Being on the outside on that was challenging at times, but... Yeah, I had a hard time coming up with cons for this game as well. If I had to say anything, it would be that there are certain paths in the game where they're like solo paths. Yeah. Basically, like it's a one space, one person room. So if you go into this room, you can move yourself out of it whenever you want. And I think I wanted those paths to feel more viable than they actually did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's, it's a free movement. You're like, well, I don't need anybody else's help. I can go up this path. And if I go up this path, this is like an alternative yeah. to having to negotiate. It's a scare get, quotes you, free you, movement. You get no points. Yeah, right. but exactly. but most of those paths have no point tokens. All of them. them. Oh, all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's usually multiple spots. So it's like two different landing spots before you get to the next cooperative room. Right. And so I don't think anybody ever really went down those paths. Maybe one person started to and was like, oh, this is a bad idea. And then yeah. you, just, you just abandon your pawn that's there yeah. because it's like, well, I'm going to waste two turns it's three, kind of slow three turns to get up this path and score no points yeah yeah i'm moving on my own and i get free movements it gives me flexibility maybe but i'm never going to get this pawn anywhere that's actually worthwhile to me well and that's actually the problem right because like okay it's free and yeah you don't get any points but the problem is where are you going are you going right. into a room that actually has people in it that could that you could negotiate with that could result in you getting either ahead or getting points Right. Probably not, because if you're going down those paths, usually you're going by yourself. So what's the point of going into a room where you're going to be by yourself, where basically everyone's going to be incentivized not to go there? And now your dude's just stranded. You've wasted a bunch of turns and no one's going to negotiate with you and you're not going to score points from that guy. Yeah. Like that yeah. was the reason that I didn't utilize. it. I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I slightly disagree because the the outside tracks seemingly to me, they're they both end up in three senator committees to get you into the main chamber. There's a five senator chamber in the middle that I don't think 
any of us used very much, right? right? Which I think we kind of all avoided from that very reason yes. that we yeah. need to have all those people in there. But if you go up the single tracks on the side, the very outside, ones. very outside tracks, you can get a person into that. Uh, that three-person side senate to be able to vote yourself in. But it's slow because it's, it's two slow. single rooms in a row. Oh, I totally right. get. Yeah, to get two people up there via the same track. I mean, you're talking six turns, which oh, is yeah. an eternity in this I, game. I totally get it, but I can see doing it where it's not necessarily advantageous to maybe move something that's already in the board. The rest of the bottom track is filled up, and you put something there. But, I, I mean, to me... I don't know. I mean, it, to it, have it, a move in your in your backlog right, that like in, other than moving Caesar or something, right? Because yeah. sometimes you can't you can't get a negotiation that you want or that right. is not in your favor, kind right. of thing. So it's yeah. like, at least I can do that. I can. I, least do I, that. I thought that, and I see what you're saying, but I almost always found on your turn it almost always seemed like it was a good idea to be involved in something that allowed you to move forward along a path that gave you points, or let somebody else move forward through negotiation. Mm-hmm. That gave you and a score favor, points, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like the the one person pass just never seemed to materialize meaningfully in our yeah. games. Yeah. But I never played that. That could be groupthink. I don't know, but yeah. I think it's a good point, Jason. All right, move on to final thoughts. Yeah, yeah. You want me to start? Do it. Go for it. All right. I think for me, this game really demonstrates how my gaming tastes have changed over the years. So I didn't talk a lot about this in cons because I don't think this necessarily is a con. I think this is more preferential, but I'm going to mention it now. In this game, the deals can get really convoluted and they can get really aggressive because all of the negotiation centers on a single person on their turn, right? And so it can turn into a lot of one-upmanship and you know just aggression, right? And there was a time in my gaming career where I really did enjoy that, you know, where I really enjoyed social deduction games, right? That can kind of get aggressive in their dealings and just feel like as I've been in the hobby longer and I've gotten older, <laughs> to be honest, he's ancient. I, I just my energy level for like just being like, no, 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 you should do this instead. It's just kind of like gone down. You know what I mean? But I say that that is not Quovatis's fault. Okay, which is why I didn't mention it in cons. That's a Chris problem. I'm just saying all this on the front end, just so people understand my score. I think if you like negotiation games. This game is easily a five. I think it's really strong in negotiation. It's got a lot of interesting things going on. But for me personally, I just don't have the energy to fight with people about making deals. You know what I mean? I just don't really care anymore, right? So You negotiate with enough kids. You just don't have the energy. Yeah. Like we were playing some games that started getting really aggressive. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really care. (laughs) You know what I mean? I just was like, eh. So I was really like on a three, four line for this one. I'm actually going to give it a four because I think it has so many clever things going on that maybe like in a year, maybe I'll change my mind. Mm. People's gaming chase just change over the years, right? Mm. But like I said, I was between a three and four. I'm going to give it a four. If you like negotiation games, I do think this is must play though. I think it's, I can see why people like it. I see why it's recommended. But for me personally, I'm going to go in the four camp for now. All right. If that makes sense. All right. I totally agree with what you said, Chris. I mean, the, there were several times during the gameplay, I think my superpower is like feeling guilty about things. <laughs> but Bill was wheeling and dealing. Well, I was wheeling and dealing. That's a funny statement for you to make considering how many times you backstab people. <laughs> I never backstab. The rule is one turn. 
he backstabbed, but he did feel guilty. I did. I did. Oh, okay. Right. I, I, I tossed at least one time that night over that. There, I mean, negotiation games do take a certain level of energy. They and, do. And like you're saying, a certain taste thing. And I, I absolutely agree. If, if this is in your wheelhouse, it's an easy five and maybe even a six. Yeah, I, I can mean, see that. Because it's just interesting how moving up the stairs to the top Senate just plays out when, you, when you're doing these things. But I'm with Chris. I ended up giving it a four because I would play it again if people wanted to play it. Yeah. It's just not the kind of game I like a whole lot. Yeah. So. Yep. Get it. Yeah. I think y'all have summed up my thoughts pretty well. I was on the three, four line with this one as well, but maybe for a slightly different reason. I am non-confrontational by nature. <laughs> so like, I don't like negotiation <laughs> games in general. However, <laughs> The only other, like, primarily pure negotiation game that I can think of off the top of my head is Chinatown, which is a game we've played a ton, and I'm surprised Mm -hmm. we didn't mention it. Yeah, we should have. And I really enjoy that game. I do, too. Despite the negotiation aspect of it. And so if I'm thinking about a negotiation game, I immediately have to compare it to that one. Yeah. Because it's such a good negotiation game. And I think for me, I was like, well, would I rather play this or would I rather play Chinatown? And there's just more to think about and more interest to me in a game like Chinatown than there is for this. Yeah. And so I still fell on the four side of the line on this one because Mm -hmm. I think it's a good game and I think people should play it. If, if negotiation is your thing, I think if you've played Chinatown and you really enjoy that game, this might not top that one. Yeah. And so I fell on a four because I think it's a good game Yeah, and I would play it if people wanted to play it. But I think if I had a go-to negotiation game and I had only one on my shelf, it would probably be Chinatown and not this one. Yeah. If I had to be honest. Here's a question for you. If they change the senators to animals in a zoo. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting to that. Hold on. Zoo bodice. Yeah. That totally changes it for me. Can I say one entire episode on anthropomorphism? (laughs) (laughs) Can I say one quick thing? Because I'm glad you mentioned Chinatown. I think I prefer Chinatown too. I like the simultaneous negotiation nature of Chinatown. The one thing about Cuvatis that got me was how everybody was vying for one person. And it just seemed like aggressiveness kind of won out where with Chinatown, people over here can be having a conversation about what they want to do. And I can pull Jason aside and be like, hey, Jason, what do you think about? You know what I mean? And so you didn't feel like you were just vying and fighting with people Mm. as much in Chinatown, which is, I think, why I prefer it as well. So I'm glad you mentioned that. All right. So for me... (laughs) Kovatis didn't really excite me, if I'm being really honest with myself. I didn't hate it, and I didn't quite feel totally meh about it. But I do think I have to land on a three for it, because I think ultimately this type of game just really isn't for me. Mm. And look, I'm a straight shooter type of person, and (laughs) while I've done my share of actual serious negotiation i mean i've been a part of six real estate deals either buying or selling at this point one of which That's was the a, worst man don't, don't ever do it again <laughs> right like i mean i've done i've done that i've been to like the guy that that has to talk to the other agent right but the, here's the thing my goal in each of those transactions was yes to drive a hard bargain but also to be fair if that makes sense like i was never trying to get more value out of a deal than was right and proper because right? that's what you do when you're dealing with real people in real life. <laughs> this isn't dealing with real people in real life. And you can't negotiate like that in a board game or you'll lose. Which is what I did. <laughs> right? You make reasonable deals in a game like Quo Vadis, And you'll give more points to other people than you get for yourself. <laughs> usually. Right? So I managed to make it to the Senate in each game. But 
it didn't benefit me. Right, so right. I, I think that's what I mean. Is like I think I'm not very well geared for this type of games and really negotiation games in general. Like I, you mentioned Chinatown. Like I've enjoyed my plays of Chinatown myself, mm-hmm. but I never do well. <laughs> so you're saying you're not good at stepping on other people in order to get your yeah, own game? Yeah, basically. You know, I want to come out there and, and come up with the most reasonable deals for everybody. But that's not what wins games. So, so this one's getting a three for me. That's interesting. So I think the take home story here is if you like negotiation games, we're saying you should definitely play this. If you're ruthless but and heartless. No. <laughs> this game this game just isn't really what our group's looking for, I guess. I think so. We're just yeah. I, this, it's not a fault of Quivatis. This easily falls into the type of game that I would tend to give like this like bifurcated, you know, yeah, number, the split, right? the split like, rating, I right? I do think that it's well done. And like I actually didn't know this was Reiner Kanitsu, but now that you mention it, like I totally get it. Yeah, right. It, it has the like hallmarks of just that calibration and finesse that yep. you expect from his games. And I do think this is like high quality, right? Like mm-hmm. it's 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 just well designed. But I don't have to like it, right? Right. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. All right. Well, so for those out there who want to check out Quovatis, where can you find it? Yes. So there are copies available at Noble Knight, our sponsors. We want to plug them. So we make sure if you want to pick up a copy, you can get it through them. Our discount code, 10% off your order, is hidden23. That's changed. New so coupon code. New coupon <laughs> code changes every quarter, all right? Hidden Only goes into effect after the spring sale. Uh, yeah, it does not apply and, during spells. Today. Which ended today. Okay, know. perfect. All right, so you should be able to use it there. Um, they're before all- this episode aired, so disregard <laughs> everything I just said. <laughs> we're, we're on top of things. We're so professional. All right, 16 copies on the BGG Marketplace, but we must mention, and it's been alluded to already, this game is getting reprinted as Zuvatis. Ugh. Oh, man. Anthropomorphism. That was not a joke? Oh, no, it was not a joke. Oh. Yeah. Let's take the Roman theme and slap animals on it, okay? So that's happening. I can't believe you guys are cracking on that. <laughs> Has anything changed? It's terrible. Know? There has. That's what I was just pulling up. So there are a few changes. I'm going to read them out to you and see what you guys think about okay. this. All right. It has a double-sided game board that supports three to seven players. Oh, wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Whoa. That intrigues me. Yeah. I think seven, six or seven players would actually introduce a good amount of tension that I think might be good for this game because the threat of getting locked out becomes very real at that point. Right. That's a good change, I think. Are there still only five spots in the I think so. Okay. That's the sort of thing that would make me throw away all of my ambivalence about being ruthless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. It introduces neutral, bribable figures, which tighten the game board at all player counts. Mm-hmm. So there are pieces on the board that don't belong to anybody that you can move, I guess. You can bribe them. Yes. Okay. Interesting. It introduces asymmetrical animal abilities, which increase negotiation possibilities. Sounds yeah. like garbage. Terrible. Yeah. I don't know. It has potential. No, Bill. <laughs> And then it contains a theme and presentation that are more likely to appeal to a wider audience. Cute, friendly animals. <laughs> I do think the six and seven players is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you like trying? Are you like vying for like a space in the burrow or something I like guess. that? Like- yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Okay. Yeah. I might pick it up. <laughs> All right. 
course you will. <laughs> Look around you. <laughs> Look around. Well, those are our thoughts on Quo Vadis. Oh, yeah, that's what we do. Not Zoo Vadis. <laughs> Quo Vadis. All right. It is the year 1870, and the Northern Pacific is getting ready to lay some track from Minneapolis to the Pacific Ocean. That means that thousands of farmers, miners, ranchers, and lumberjacks will be able to move their goods to the hungry eastern markets. More importantly, means that there is money to be made by investing in booming railroad towns. It's time to pour money into promising railroad towns and spend time influencing the railroad route. The investor that reaps the most benefit will be crowned the winner. Nice job, partner. <laughs> Northern Pacific. <laughs> All right. Northern Pacific. Published in 2013 by Rio Grande Games and Winsome. Mm-hmm. Designed by Amabel Holland. Yeah. One of the co-owners of Holland Spiel. Yep. A company that we will talk more about in the future, I think. For sure. This is episode worthy. Yeah. She's a designer of Irish and Iberian Gage. Yeah. Recent releases. As well as Sue Line, Islet, Field of the Cloth of Gold, yeah. and other Hollandspiel titles. So, interested to dig into more of those at some point in the future. Uh, currently ranked on BGG, 2,621. So, as Chris likes to say, quick rules summary for Northern <laughs> Pacific. Oh, can I, can I quickly... Quickly. <laughs> can I quickly... It's two cocktails. Quickly mention... <laughs> This game was recommended by James Geist, Dad's on a Map, QWERTY Martin, and Branston Original, longtime listeners and supporters, and had 22 thumbs on our geek list. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, Northern Pacific is a game of making investments in various cities in the Northern Pacific U.S. in an attempt to make a return on those investments if and when the train arrives in those cities. The game is played over three rounds. However, each round is identical. So, in essence, you're playing the same short-ish game three times in a row. The map is a network of interconnected directional train tracks starting in Minneapolis, weaving from east to west, and branching through various cities along the way, always ending up in Seattle. In each of the three rounds, players begin the round with four cubes in their player color three small cubes, and one large cube. The player will also have a reserve of extra cubes off to the side if they're not accessible to them yet. Each cube in a player's possession at the end of a round counts as a single point. Whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. So what are we trying to do? On a player's turn, they can do one of two things. It's very simple. You either place a cube or you advance the train. That's it. You can't do both. You have to do one or the other. To place a cube... The player can place one of their available cubes, big or small, in any city on the board, except for Minneapolis and Seattle. There is a limit to the total number of cubes that can be in any given city, and this is dependent on the player count. So it's usually two or three cubes per city. But again, it changes based on player count. However, there are no restrictions on the number of any single player's cubes that can be in a city. So I can have all three cubes in a particular city if you want. That might not be a good idea. For reasons we'll talk about in a, in nope. a minute, but <laughs> you can do it. The other option is advancing the train. So 
To do this, a player places a new train marker on the track, extending the head of the train line as it moves east to west from Minneapolis to Seattle. Remember, though, that the tracks are directional, so these directions have to be followed. And the train track can never branch, so you can't split off and go a different direction. So how do we actually score points in this game? If the train passes through a city where there are cubes, each player that has a cube there takes their cube back and receives a bonus cube from their reserve for each cube that they removed. It's important to note that the large cubes, the reason that these are in the game, is that if the train passes through a city where you have a large cube, it grants a bonus of two additional cubes instead of just one. The round ends immediately when the train reaches Seattle. And again, at that point, every cube in a player's possession awards them a single point. Any cubes that are still out on the board don't cost points, but in a sense they do because they're cubes that you should have had in front of you that would have scored you a point. After the train reaches Seattle, the board is cleared completely. Everything is reset. Players reset back to four cubes. They're three and one, three small, one large, and we do the exact same thing two more times. Mm -hmm. The only thing that stays from round to round is the score. Uh, And at the end of the third round, the highest score wins the game. And that is entirely how you play North yeah. Pacific, aside from the tiebreaker that I skipped over. Easy rules. All right. So, <clears throat> unlike Quovadas, we actually do have feedback on this game from yep. folks who, who wrote in their opinions. So, Cameron's going to kick us off instead of our traditional leading question with uh, some of those opinions. Yeah. Okay. So, for this one, I want to give a big thanks to George W., to Snooze Fest, and to Adrian slash Adrianos slash Zalbar slash whatever. <laughs> um, so thank you to you guys for um, submitting your reviews. So from George W, we've got BGG rating six, Hidden Gems rating three. He says the rules are so extremely simple, and yet there is so much game and psychology there. The branching paths seem like they've been thoroughly tested to create interesting choices and chain effects. I can't explain why, but the game totally works. Cons, the board could be clear and the setting and components are dry as dirt. It's interesting, <laughs> but not all that fun. Mm. All right. I think, I think that maybe explains his Hidden Gems rating of three. Mm-hmm. Okay. So next up, we've got a review from Snooze Fest, our friend. Yeah, Ravendra. Check us out over at Discord. Ravendra runs the Discord. Yep. So Ravendra says, a game of route building, investing, and speculating Streamlined even more so than Erie Railroad past the point of interest. Mm. Admittedly, only one play of the game, but it just seemed to have stripped away too much of the interesting stuff for me. I'd play it again as a quick, quick filler, but I don't see myself returning to this very often. Fine to get rid of my copy. Okay. Okay. And then finally, we've got Adrian slash Adrianos Zalbar slash whatever. (laughs) Fast paced, simple rule set yet agonizing decisions with a board that locks up surprisingly fast. Too chaotic with six players, best with four. The game, Mm. perhaps due to it being a filler, don't have this staying power for more than about 10 games. Initial rating is a strong four. Current rating is three and for sale. Okay. 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 So those are the three responses that we got, which is so surprising to me because obviously a game that was voted for yeah. Uh f- for us to review on this episode, 
uh, it had to have gotten a lot of attention and yeah. presumably a lot of thumbs up. But 22 thumbs. That doesn't necessarily mean they liked it. It could mean that they just wanted to hear us one, talk may, about it. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I, I think true. what it means is they want to torture you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think I just expected that any game that would be on this would be generally favored, yeah. widely favored by our audience and given the opportunity to share their own opinions and that it is maybe, by some that although maybe they, they didn't comment they yeah. would have written their reviews so just pointing that out we've got a handful of, of not great you know positive yeah. reviews so what do we think about that where do we go with this well I, so i'll kick us off a discussion so the the last person that wrote the review said that the game is filled with agonizing decisions mm-hmm. saw jason's eyebrow raise at that <laughs> description what did you guys think about the decision space here Find it to be agonizing. I found it to be calculable. Right. Okay. Like I don't profess to be like a chess champion who can think 15 moves ahead and figure out what everybody's going to do. But it felt like more often than not in this game, you could do a bunch of if thens in your head. If then like, statements. Yeah. If I do this, then the person right after me is going to do that. And then the person right after them is going to do that. And so this is going to happen. If I do this other thing, then that happens, then that happens, then that happens. And that's okay, I guess, if you enjoy trying to figure out that puzzle. The problem that I stumbled over was that in a lot of cases, I found that I was doing that calculation in my head and coming up with the conclusion that none of the options that were available to me were good ones. Yeah. There was no good choice. The game was forcing me to make a decision that was not ideal for me. And I can give a good example of this. And maybe this will explain it. Maybe it will bore everyone. But <laughs> we played a five-player game. It's hard, it's hard to explain this game. Yeah. It is hard to explain. Because everything is so... It's a perfect information game. There's yes. no unknowns. Everything is known on the board, right? So you can say, well, there's shared incentives, right? You want to mm-hmm. get in deals with other people. Yes and no. Right, We were in a five-player game. Bill was the first person to place a cube in a city that was one link away from the train. Right. right, From the starting space. Right. So anybody can move the train and get it to this city. Or anybody can move the train and move it around this city to where that city cannot be accessible. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what are my options on this turn? I have no <laughs> options. My option is I must move the train. <laughs> right. Because my son was playing with us. No fault of his. Like, he didn't do anything wrong, but he was between Bill and I. He did something else on the board. He placed a cube somewhere else. So now it's to me. I have the option. I can join in with Bill, right? And then Cameron and Chris come after me, and it goes back to Bill. So in this case, if I join in with with Bill, what happens? Cameron can either join in with me. Now we've filled up the city. Now it's three things. What is Chris going to do? Chris is going to say... Heck no, the train's not going there. (laughs) He's going to move it somewhere else, right? And bypass all three of us. That's a great move for him. Yeah. So that means that is not a viable option for me. Right. (laughs) Cameron's other option is he can say, well, screw the two of them. I'll move the train. Cameron's going to move the train. (laughs) Right. Great. That's still not a good option for me. So my other option is I move the train, right? I have to move the train. Or can I add one thing? Or you can create a 50-50 scenario. So if it's... It's like a branching pass from right. Seattle. You could go another direction that Bill went, right? But now you're giving the people after you a choice. Do I pick Bill or do I pick Jason, right? Who do I like better? 
Well, right. and, and, or, and or I say I avoid all of that, and I'm just gonna forget all of this mess, and I'm gonna go someplace else. I'm gonna go place where my son just placed. Way back with on him. the board, yeah. Right. yeah. That's not an option either, because if I do that, guess what's gonna happen? Cameron's gonna place with Bill. Chris is gonna place with Bill. And, and then Bill's, Bill's going to move the train to that city and all three of them are going to score. So why would I do any of those? I'm not going to do any of those. And so it's just this giant chain of if-thens that ultimately ends up in I have to move the train, which right. hurts me. Right. Because now I'm wasting my turn to move the train around the city instead of placing a cube out on the board that could benefit me somewhere. Right? Yeah. But it is the only logical move in that situation. right? And I guess if you're playing this game and you're... It sounds so pretentious, and I don't mean it in that way. <laughs> but I guess if you're not thinking through all those scenarios, all the you could say, oh, yeah. man, this is like a super deep decision. What do I do? But if you work it out, like it's not really. And sometimes I'm not saying every scenario in this game is that way. Yeah, There are situations where it's, well, it's 50-50. I could place this cube here, right. and maybe it'll go there. Maybe it won't. Or I can place further out, and maybe it'll get there. Maybe it won't. But so much of that comes down to turn order. And I'm going to stop here for now and no, let, dude, let other people talk. I'm, I'm really but, glad you, you explained that really that was, well. Yeah, that was very well because done. Because I was worried about our ability to explain what you just did in a way that made sense to where we could justify maybe all of our perspective positions. But I think you did a good job. I think one other thing we should mention, because I'm glad you used the example of Bill, because we had played it before, before Bill had played it with us, and Bill placed in a city adjacent to the, to the starting space, and we just promptly went by him. Rookie mistake is what, yeah. right is the way which the is point, another problem. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, introduces another problem in that you've got kind of like a long rectangular board, but we kind of felt like it's a funnel. It's <laughs> you only really play on one third of the board. Yeah. The spaces immediately adjacent to the starting city and the spaces immediately adjacent to the ending city don't really come into play. At least they didn't in our games because or they shouldn't. Right, because it just didn't make sense for them to everything kind of funneled towards the middle like right. Cameron was saying because if you place adjacent to the starting space you you are right Jason if you place a train you're not placing a point well you're not placing a cube that has the potential to score points but you're denying somebody else not just one point but two points really right bypassing a cube is a two point swing really because right. one that cube they placed is not earning them a point, but had they just left that cube in front of them, it would have earned them a point. So it's like they're really losing two points. They're mm-hmm. losing the point they already had in front of them, and then they're not scoring an additional That's cube right. for it. So it seems like to me that bypassing people is a good play, even if I'm not putting cubes down because oh, yeah. I'm hurting you, right? Right. And so putting next to those spots immediately next to the starting space is really risky and dangerous That's and right. so everybody was kind of placing in the middle of the board right well and, weird. and it becomes it does become a, a thing of turn order right because if you could say depending on what the turn order situation is well i don't have to be the the guy that that moves it but somebody should bypass that, that right. guy that player before it comes back to bill before it comes back to him because then he'll be able to capitalize on right. it right but so, if you but if you get far far enough through turn order then everybody can just pile onto that spot, and then the person who placed there in the first place can just do it, which is That's my right. example, right? Right. So, yeah. yeah. So there is only a very narrow window there sure. where, like, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think. I mean, we have to bring up the Great Falls, Great Falls. situation, yes. which is which is this one spot on the right, board right. where effectively every route 
converges. Yeah. Every route I should say can go through right. Great Falls. Mm-hmm. Probably will. Which 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 <laughs> almost presents, certainly will. Which presented every game that we played with the situation with okay, begin the game of Northern Pacific. Player one places a cube on Great Falls. <laughs> right. Player two places a cube on Great Falls. Player three <laughs> places a cube on Great Falls. Player four does something different because yeah. Great Falls is players one, capacity. two, and three spend the entire rest of the game making sure the train yeah. goes through Great Falls. Yeah, basically. <laughs> two players cannot wrestle control away of the railway sufficiently to prevent the train from going through Great Falls. Right. It's just impossible. It's, it's kind of, and it's kind of a problem because if that's the preamble to the rest of the game, every game, like that's boring yeah and problematic for a game like who wants the recipe for a game to be like the first three turns are the exact same every single time and it's maybe like maybe one or two cities on either side of great falls come into play in terms of like which one's it going to be right it going to be the the north one or the south one (laughs) on either side of great falls but other than that none of the other cities on the board matter right well you can say well that's not being very creative it's like no because the reality is that like if anybody places on Great Falls, which they will, the the three out of four or the three out of five players that are sitting on Great Falls will inevitably steer the train back to it. Yep. Just makes and they can because every route on the map will take them there. Yeah. Right. It, it would take an error by the three That's players right. to allow the other two to somehow bypass it. Right. Like Jason said, if you go through all the if-then statements, everybody, if they're playing optimally, which isn't super hard, I don't think, can ensure that it goes through that space at least, right? The only only strategy I I thought I developed that may or may not make sense is that I would look for somebody that was one space away from me and put my cube on their city because – that would give another chance of somebody that's that's a little further away from me to redirect the chain sure. back to back to my spot. But other than that, because you had to make all these decisions way ahead of yeah. the other fact of the chain getting there. Yeah, I think you made a good point. You do want to pay attention to your right and left neighbors and what they're incentivized to do because the way they're going to bring it, you want to build near them or place near them so that you can capitalize on what you know they want. Right. So there's something to think about there. Mm-hmm. but it still can't the how do i explain this based on that logic the route kind of builds itself and then the train progresses through that route with some 50 50 decisions maybe thrown in there but maybe at higher maybe. player counts i guess maybe. we should mention that but right maybe if you had six or something you need three people in a row that all agree that they're going to bypass great falls to get past it I think in the other cities, you probably need two for the most part. Mm-hmm. And if you can get your partnerships so that there's never really two people in a row <laughs> that's going to want to miss your city. Right. It, that's that's kind of the strategy. Yeah. I, th- I think that was my other con is that it feels like the only opportunities for creative play in this game are heavily, heavily turn order sequenced. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, if it just so happens that the way the cubes fall, I can get me and the next person and the next person all in a row and we can all affect some sort of change on the board all in a row, then that's fine. But if somebody who's not part of that partnership falls in that turn order, like you just can't do it. Right. And so I think one thing that's probably important to point out about this game is that maybe not everybody's group is like our group. I feel like 
one thing that this group tends to fall into is try to play optimally if you can. And maybe there are groups out there that, that just don't do that. They've people in their groups that are not as well versed in games. They're not going to logic out every possible permutation. And, and maybe this game is a whole lot more fun if you're not doing that. If you have people that are just like, I'm just going to go there, you know? Right, right. I don't know. Because obviously this game has a following. It does. Right? And so I don't want to just completely discount that on the basis of our specific experience with it. (laughs) I think one more thing we need to mention, too, before we get into our final thoughts is is maybe the idea of the big cubes was Mm -hmm. to mix up this kind of thinking process that we're going through. But even still with the big cubes, I guess the point of the big cubes is it will make you think twice about traveling through a city where you thought you for sure wanted to go. Right. Because it's like, well, I'm in this city, but if I go in this one, Chris is going to get two points and I'm only going to get one and Cameron's going to get one. So maybe we should reconsider that. But the problem with that is, yeah, you're denying me too, but you're also shooting yourself in the foot. Right. Right. And it felt like to me that oftentimes that was a bad idea to do that to deny that person the two, even though you were just getting one, because the games were usually pretty tight. It's a low scoring right, game. Right. And most people usually get their big cube. So like, yeah, you denied me from getting my big cube, but now you've lost a point that you probably needed. And it's still probably going to go through Jason's big cube and Bill's big, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I just don't know if it changed the game enough to really matter. And to be honest, I feel like, if you play that way, you're probably going to lose anyways. Right. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. It, it just didn't add enough for me, but I don't know what y'all thought about the big cubes. If it really helped. It added in that slight wrinkle, I think, as you mentioned. Right. But I think I even tried in one game. I was like, you know what? It's going through Chris's big cube. And even though my cubes in there, I'm just going to deny it. And I'm going to direct the train in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, it didn't help me. Right. Felt good in the moment. Yeah, but. it did. It made me <laughs> mad. <laughs> anyways we're getting in the weeds here I, but. I have one more thing that bugs me so much about this game nothing changes from round to round you just do the same thing three times nothing carries point. over nothing builds nothing progresses except for your you, score you yeah. right you run the track you score the points you clear the board you do it two more times that's boring <laughs> sorry i'm just game. i'm just gonna say it straight out like you need something that gives you a feeling of progress or a feeling that the last round mattered somehow other than the number of points that you have. Otherwise, why don't we just play one round of this game and play a different game? Mm-hmm. In my mind, when I read the rules, I thought, oh, okay, well, whoever's in the lead, we're less incentivized to go through that person's spaces in future rounds because they're in the lead but i still never felt like the game played out no that way. it only yeah. matters That's what should happen but yeah it but it, it only matters it where because yeah. you're saying okay okay whoever's in like chris is leading after the first round and wherever turn order works out you're the first or second person to put your dude on great falls and because <laughs> let's be honest that's what's happening and then what are we gonna the third person is like well chris is leading so i'm not gonna put my cube on great falls no, <laughs> like you see what I mean? If that's the one thing that's different from round around, right. like that's weak sauce. <laughs> All right, I'm done. All right. Final thoughts. Here we go. 
This will be fun. Bill, you get to start. Oh, dang it. Uh, <laughs> I don't have good flesh house sauce. Yeah, I mean, there, as I think we've kind of beat this dead horse, there just wasn't a lot of, of creative thinking or decision making from my point of view in each turn. I might differ a little bit with you on there on camera in the the three rounds. I could see there being games where it is kind of a learning process of learning the strategy and or trying to do something to affect the leader and or to catch up, even though you're doing the same thing. But this game didn't give you really a mechanism to do that. Because I think there was one of the games where you were way out in the head and you just there was no strategy that I felt like that we could implement at the table to, to, to help catch us up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I'm going to give this game a two. Mm. All right. All right. Well, like I mentioned, I guess the one thing that this game has going for it, which we didn't talk about is that it presents itself as being a super elegant masterpiece of a rule set. Simple. Like Spectaculum or like any of those other games, right? Super simple, super deep decisions. Unfortunately, it became far too much of like a if this then that mental exercise Mm -hmm. where more often than not the result of that calculation was like either an obvious it would be dumb not to do this move or an equally obvious but much less fun would be dumb not to take this defensive move Mm -hmm. type thing. Or I can put myself in a 50-50 situation and hope I get picked. Right. So I looked up some other reviews of this game just to see like are we are we missing something important here and i read one by bgg user deleted i guess that's that's his his name and he says comparisons with quandary are inevitable i've not played quandary yeah you have that's wildlife safari ah okay well there we go he says but imperfect information makes that game shine whereas the perfect information here dulls the finish with a brillo pad slog of calculation <laughs> for me playing northern pacific reminded me most of playing mancala overall mentally tiring with little payoff and i felt like that summed up my thoughts on this pretty well maybe there are deeper strategies here of the shared incentives and stuff that we're just not finding but i feel like most of them are locked really tightly to turn order yeah. So like, even if I'm like, okay, well, we're all going to team up and we're going to go against Cameron. If Cameron is between me and you in turn order, it doesn't matter because mm. he's just going to jump in on whatever we start anyway. So if I wanted to play an interesting shared incentive train game, there are many others out there and I would rather play those. So I gave this a two as well. All right. I'm just going to say it right now. I won this game twice. <laughs> okay. So what I'm saying is, a, is about as pure of a game review as I can offer. <laughs> this game sucks. <laughs> It doesn't build up or progress through the game. There's no arc to this game except for the path from the train that inevitably runs from Minneapolis through Great Falls to Seattle. You, you can make it an arc if you go go north and then go south. Yeah. You might think that you can be clever and experimental in this game, but you can't. If you go off the rails to try something, your opponents will pass you by and you'll lose out. I'm always afraid of falling into some type of like group think but i honestly can't see how that could be the case with this one if someone puts themselves out there on a spot early it just makes sense to move the train in opposite direction mm. right if someone places a spot on great falls or somewhere beyond that it makes sense to join in like right i don't i mean we've smashed this one to the ground and i, I hate to do it on an episode yeah. like this because i think what we like to see is that we've connected with this audience who have voted on games and they've put this one out there as one that they want to hear from us about. And I assume that there are folks out there that 
really like it, mm-hmm. right? So I don't like smashing on your game, <laughs> right? Release the hate mail. <laughs> but this one's bad. <laughs> it's a bad game. It's a two. Well, if, if if we can say anything, we can't be accused of pandering to our base after this, <laughs> right? So if we, anything, what base? We don't have a base anymore. <laughs> right, our, our, our dwindling base. I'm gonna leave. Speak. I'm gonna leave the form up. And I, honestly, if you're out there and you're just like the hidden gems guys, just completely missed it on this one. Idiots. They don't understand. Seriously, like write us an email. Write us on the, on the form or whatever. On write us on on Discord or BGG and like tell us what we're missing because. Yeah. I we honestly like racked our brains to just be like we shouldn't just dump on this right. <laughs> oh yeah, I played this, many but we times. don't have a choice. We have to give you our honest opinions. <laughs> we call balls and strikes here at Hidden Gems. Okay, <laughs> that's what we're learning here. All right, I won't be long here. I'll try not to be. So <laughs> there are games. This is interesting. I've experienced this phenomenon several times where you read the rule book and you're like, this game is gonna suck, and it actually ends up being a pretty good game. You know, like Montage or Esselsbrook, it would be good examples of that. And there are times when you read the rule book and you're like, this sounds so cool. And then you play the game and you're like, what happened? That's this game. <laughs> I read the rule book and I was like, I saw what they were trying to do. And mm. I thought I knew how it would play out. I was like, I can see what they're trying to do here. And it sounds interesting. But when it ultimately played out, the shared incentives just, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. If you want to play a good game with meaningful shared incentives just play marrakesh mm. honestly like I, I just don't see any reason why i would ever choose this game it's just not good i didn't enjoy it. it's not fun you can say that the hidden gym guys are just idiots and we weren't getting it maybe i don't know i consider us to be pretty seasoned gamers i will say however i played this game a lot i at least played it with five other people that are not represented in this room and when mm. we played it i was very careful not to bias them i didn't say okay. anything about it yeah it was good. It was bad. I was like, hey, I just want to try this game with you all. Nobody I played this game with liked it. Not one person. Wow. So that's Five at least others. nine or ten people. Not one person in our group, of, of which there are many experienced gamers, like this game. So take that for what it's worth. All we can give is our opinion, but I can tell you it landed horribly in our group. Just didn't like it. We'll say. And I buy all your crap games, and I don't think I want. <laughs> and 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 two. I'm giving out it a the, two, by the way, in case I wasn't clear. Yeah. And two out of the three, I believe, uh, of the folks that wrote in said they were getting rid of their. Yeah, copy. it was pretty milk toast for the most part, right? right. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a weird one. So, all right. Hmm. Okay. Well, if you're still listening. <laughs> There are no copies available in Noble Knight, but there are five copies on the BGG Marketplace. But I will say, this game was pretty recently reprinted by Rio Grande, so I, I think Why? it is probably <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Pretty widely available, like Amazon and other online okay. retailers. I think you can get it if you want to try it out. Test our theories, go for it. But that's cool. all I gotta say. Well, those are our thoughts on Northern Pacific. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Let's go. Several miles west of the African mainland lies the Cape Verde island of Santiago. The climate is hot and every drop of water is precious. The players are landowners bidding for plantations with specific crops on them. Bananas, sugarcane, potatoes, beans or red peppers. 
and try to connect them into the large plantations. These plantations must quickly be connected to the canal irrigation system or else they will dry up and produce no yield. To ensure that the new canals connect your own plantation to the irrigation system, you have to bribe the current canal overseer. The sooner that a plantation is irrigated and is connected to other plantations of the same type, more yield, and thus the more money, will be gained at the end of the game. The player who acquires, irrigates, and connects his plantations most effectively will win the game. <laughs> now that you've offended all New Zealanders out there, for no good reason, because this game takes place in Africa, <laughs> we can move on with the rules. Just like saying connected. Connected in the papers. I, I believe I said it six or seven times. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> Explain the rules. I've missed this in my life. All right. Santiago, published in 2003 by Amigo and Z-Man Games. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 850. Ooh. Yeah. Inside the 1K. Inside the 1K, baby. Designers of this game, Claudia Healy who has no other notable designs, and Roman Pellick, who is notable for one design, Shanghaian. Oh, oh wow. It was Jason and I this podcast. Design, or the designed, we reviewed. <laughs> Not super favorably, if I remember. Yeah, I think you gave it a four, I gave it a three, it's fine. But great flavor text, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That's right. That was, uh, <laughs> let's not remind what ourselves was of that. that. That was the, uh, Arr, the, the infamous Captain... <laughs> Something. Let's let's not remind ourselves of that. <laughs> moving on. Yeah, moving on. All right. So this game was recommended by JB Roots, Ultimo Ratio, Ghidorah, Born, Torre Larson, Ethan Reyes, and also received 23 thumbs on BGG. Pretty highly recommended there. All right. Brief rule summary for Santiago. This isn't too brief. I'm sorry, but uh, I think this needs to be covered. Santiago is a tight area control auction game where the players are vying to control the most valuable crops within a tightly confined board space. Bill is asleep. The game board <laughs> in Santiago is made up of a six by eight square grid upon which players will be acquiring and placing one of five different types of square crop tiles. Did you get that bill? I did. Okay. <laughs> the game board is further partitioned into two by two groups with dark lines running in between these groupings and along the outermost edges of the board. These dark lines are canal lines where blue irrigation sticks can be placed in order to irrigate placed crop tiles. During setup, a blue spring token will be placed at one of the intersections of these canals, and this is where all water begins to start the game. Before we go into the rules, it's important to first understand how scoring occurs. At the end of the game, each player will look at each crop tile or connected series of crop tiles where they have at least one yield marker, or you could think of this as like a control marker, and they will score a number of points equal to the number of yield markers present in that area multiplied by the number of crop tiles that make up that area. So let me give you an example. Let's say we're considering peppers. <laughs> Pe peppers, 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 <laughs> and let's say we've got 
five tiles that share size orthogonally in some way. So you've got a glob of five connected pepper tiles. And within that glob, you have three control or yield markers. You would score three times five, 15 points at the end of the game. If you had five yield markers in there, you'd score five times five, 25 points. To this total, the players will then add their remaining cash on hand and the player of the highest total wins the game. The game will take place over nine or 11 rounds, depending on the number of players playing the game with each round progressing through seven different phases. Let's go through those phases now. Phase one, players will randomly flip over four or five crop tiles, depending on player count, which will be up for auction that round. It's important to understand that the auction is a once around auction and that the auction always starts to the left of the player who controls the canal overseer. That's very important, and we'll talk about that more later. Players can make any single bid they want, with the exception that a player cannot match a previous player's bid except for passing. Multiple people can pass, otherwise you can't match a bid. In phase two, once the bidding is complete, the player that bid the lowest amount in the auction immediately takes the canal overseer token. If more than one person passed, the player that passed first becomes the canal overseer. In phase three, the players then take and place one of the face-up auctioned crop tiles onto the board in order from highest bid to lowest bid. The crop tile can be placed anywhere they want, but it's important to note that each crop tile will have either one or two farmers printed on it. This determines how many yield markers the player gets to place on the crop tile when they add it to the board. Interestingly and importantly, if a player passed this round, they must place one fewer yield marker on their chosen crop tile. All bids are then placed into the bank and out of circulation. During phase four, irrigation occurs, but not without bribes. Irrigation is important because for every round that a crop tile does not share an edge with an irrigation stick, that crop will lose a yield marker. Now, starting to the left of the canal overseer, each player will attempt to bribe the canal overseer with money to get him or her to place the irrigation stick to go where they want it to go. Different bribes or suggestions can be made by the different players at the table, and different players can combine their bribe into one larger bribe if they want the irrigation stick to go in the same place. Once it comes around to the canal overseer, they must either accept one of the cash bribes and place the stick in the appropriate place, or they can still place the stick in a place of their choosing, but they must exceed the highest bid on the table by at least $1. All unaccepted bribes are reclaimed by the respective players. It's important to note that during phase five, the players have the opportunity to perform an extra irrigation. Each player starts the game with one spare irrigation stick. Once during the game, each player has the option to irrigate a canal if the irrigation didn't go the way they wanted in the current round. However, this extra irrigation opportunity occurs clockwise from the canal overseer, and if someone chooses to use their extra irrigation, Nobody else can play their extra irrigation stick that round. Next, in phase six, drying occurs where all unirrigated crop tiles lose one of their yield markers, as I explained earlier. If drying removes a tile's last yield cube, this tile flips over and becomes desert, no longer contributing to that crop's multiplier. Finally, in phase seven, each player gets $3 from the bank to help replenish his or her funds. It's so much money. And then the game ends once all tiles have been auctioned. 
At this point, any unirrigated tiles, regardless of whether they have yield markers on them or not, flip over and become desert. Now players total their scores with highest score winning the game. Woo! Wake up, oh, Jason. Wow. All right. <laughs> and that's generally how you play Santiago. The reason why I went over all those rules that was very thorough is because <laughs> there's a lot of important things in there that we should talk about. Yep. But first, let's see what the people have to say about right. Santiago. You give me crap for being too thorough. Uh, well, hey, man, listen, sometimes you got to. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read comments. Mm-hmm. If you want to jump in at any point, mm-hmm. just give me the signal. Okay. You can jump in and, What's we'll, the signal? and, and we'll chat. Just uh, raise, raise, a, my hand. raise a hand or just say say a word three or four times. <laughs> Code word. Okay. Throw something, Jason. Code okay. phrase, Alvin's hot juice box. <laughs> <laughs> See if anybody gets that reference. All, All right. right. So from George W., and I hope that we're saying that right, because we've mentioned him a couple times. Yeah, here. He's, George he's, without the E. George without the E. It may be Yorg. Yeah, I'm not sure. So sorry, Yorg or George. <laughs> Thank you for contributing. <laughs> BGG rating 6.5. HG rating 3. Oh, okay. Pros. The once around auctions are very tense, and the difference between, for example, third and fourth place can be huge. So every coin matters. Mm. Okay. I like the idea of the canal overseer that losing the bid can be a good thing, not only for turn order next turn, but also for being bribed. Okay. Stop. Okay. (laughs) This must be discussed. Okay. Yeah. This is a great place to start. I'm glad that he made that point. I think the importance of the canal overseer cannot be overstated. And I appreciated this more and more as I played the game. The canal overseer is interesting in that, You're intentionally putting yourself in a bad position from a tile-taking standpoint. So you're going to get the worst tile that's up for auction, right? Right. And potentially, if you pass a worthless tile. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good point. So if you pass, like I mentioned in the rules, you have to put one less yield marker on the tile. So if you end up with a tile that had one farmer on it, that tile is not going to directly benefit you from a point standpoint, although you could still use it strategically. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that more later. But the benefit is you get the canal overseer, which means you're likely going to get money. Mm-hmm. Money is tight in this game. So you've navigated yourself in a position to where you can get more income. But even more importantly than that, in my opinion, you will be last to bid in the next round, yep. which is hugely important in this game. If you feel like there may be a tile upcoming that you really want to be able to acquire and knowing what you need to beat. Right, mm-hmm. I think it's very strong. Yeah, and an interesting game decision. And I'm so glad. And I'll stop talking, but I definitely wanted to talk about this. I love that he made passing have a small penalty associated with it. Yeah, because otherwise people would be passing like crazy in this yeah, game. I think it's really it's balanced. It's yeah. a very balanced feature of the game because it doesn't as easily run the risk of like the thing in slough off where you're like, if you can be the sloughfer, you should be right. type of thing. Mm-hmm. So you do want to make a calculated choice to pass to be the canal overseer. Right. The good point. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? I'll continue reading. No. Well, no, I mean, this comes down to strategy because I bid one a lot mm-hmm. because yeah. I, I, I wanted the, the worker on it. Because you didn't want to lose the, the cube, yeah. Exactly, didn't want to lose the cube. But I found that the timing on choosing that was just 
I don't know. I enjoyed that kind of angsty part of this game. Jason's um, saving his thunder thoughts here. For- okay. That's- well, no, I mean, I was going to mention the one potential con to that, which I think is a con primarily for you, Chris. I didn't want to steal your thunder on that. No. But was that you can set yourself up for that and then end up disappointed. Yes. If what comes out on the draw, which is random, right? Happened to me many times. Is <laughs> not beneficial to you, right? Yeah. So you yeah. just intentionally hurt yourself in order to potentially gain later, only to find out that a random draw yeah. doesn't really benefit you much. Hurt. Right? Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. But on the other hand, sometimes it really does work out. <laughs> it's true. And, and if it can, then you've probably put yourself in a really strong position in the game. Yeah. So George also says, I like that you always have the option of your personal canal and that you can mm-hmm. use it offensively as well. Yes. And I think that's a great point too, because that's always the big question in the game, right? It's like, when do you use it? You know, because there's also the risk that someone could use theirs before you, depending on turn order. And then you can't use yours because only one can be used per round. It's an interesting question, right? You want it to just secure something that you think that you'll need immediately, maybe early on in the game, or do you wait for some crucial moment later on where it's going to make a big difference for you? Yeah but that you don't know what that's going to be. I almost always found that I wished I had it later in the game when those globs get really big for big points, but the longer you hold it, if other people are doing the same, the more risk you're running that you might not ever get to play it it in a meaningful way. So there is some angst there yeah, for sure. It's funny he said using it offensively or defensively. I mean, I wonder what he means by the difference between those two. Yeah, Defensively would be like using it for yourself when you've gotten squeezed out of the, the water auction offensively, I guess is you're either placing it in a way that directs people to start putting tiles away from something that somebody else wants, yeah, maybe, or you're placing so that someone else can't place that round when they really need to. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because only one person per round can do that. Sure. So if, right. so if I'm before you in turn order and I know you really need to place yours, I mean, that'd be pretty costly to me right. to just place it out there just so you can't. Right. Unless it also benefits me. But it is an option. It is an option, yeah. Okay. Uh, He says, cons, like many player-driven economies, it's fragile in that a player not playing to win can really mess up the game for other (laughs) players. That's any game, yeah. Yeah. And then he says, turn order matters a great deal, and I can feel like an unfair advantage, disadvantage to sit to the left or right of the canal overseer. Okay. Or even depending on the flop for the round you decide to be canal overseer. I want to say something about this. Yeah, Yeah. if somebody at the table is really being aggressive about grabbing the canal overseer a lot because they like to be last in the next auction, Mm. that really hurts the person to their left. Yeah. Because being first sucks. It's terrible, yeah. It sucks, (laughs) right? So if you're like... If you're to the right of a person like that, you're going to have a bad time. You're just like, seriously? Come on, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Well, even, even outside of that, I found... It's an interesting mechanic that the first and last are being determined simultaneously on a once around auction, mm. right? In one sense, that's a crazy problem to try to solve in your head. <laughs> right. And like as an interesting wrinkle to the strategy of bidding in an auction. But at the same time, you can get screwed in that you can be like, well, this is an awesome auction for me. I'm going to bid really high because I really want that tile. But when you do that, you have no idea who's going to be the overseer at that point, mm-hmm. right? Because anybody could just bid low or pass and become the overseer. And depending on who that is, 
you could be screwed in the water auction. Yeah, right? you might like, not get that tile watered, yeah. Yeah, I could be like, well, I bid high and I got this awesome tile, but Chris ended up being the overseer, which I didn't have any control over. And maybe I could have foreseen that, but probably not. Yeah. And if that happens, and that happens to be a situation where I know that everyone else is going to team up to make the water go away from where I need it to go, me bidding high actually hurt me a lot. Yeah. yeah. Right? Way more than another scenario. And that plus the fact of the kind of the short circuiting the overseer auction bid, which we haven't talked about yet, but we probably should at some point that can really hurt you in that. Okay. Well, I guess we have to talk about it now (laughs) in the overseer auction for the water. Yeah. We should talk about this. I can say, well, I bid a lot on the, on this tile, right? Yeah. That was really good for me. So I, I can prepare ahead of time and make sure that I can bid really high to make sure the water goes where I want it to go, right? Right. right. But you can't do that. You can't assure that because Bill can come in and say, well, I'll pay a dollar to give you a different option. Yeah. Right. And the overseer can take that option. I like this, They don't have to take the high bid, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a cool mechanic, but it also makes trying to go hard after a particular bid in order to get something that's really beneficial to you, if the overseer situation comes out against your favor, really risky and pretty much impossible to overcome. There's no way to like set up for it so that I can say, well, I'm guaranteed. Unless, as Bill mentioned before, there's an open spot that's already irrigated or you plan to use your extra irrigation stick. I totally get what you're saying, but I I, I personally... Yeah, you can mitigate it. I, I liked that you could bribe the canal overseer and be like, let's say Cameron and Jason are like, Hey, the two of us together, six dollars send us this way, which is really tempting because that's a lot of money. But I could be like, hey man, I'll give you two if you just send it this way and we can screw both of them over. <laughs> I, I kind of liked that that's to be kinda honest. That's kind of this game, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought that was fun, honestly. So yeah, I, I'm not saying it's a an all bad thing. Because I like it too. But <laughs> it's not necessarily a con, but it can be really painful <laughs> if you end up in that situation. And there wasn't really much you could do about it, mm-hmm. right? Now, see, here's the thing, though. I think that this actually plays into something that I actually really like about this game, which is I think single bid auctions are really fascinating yeah. games, right? I mean, I know we're oh, eventually yeah. going to make the comparison to Medici, so I'm going to be the person that actually does it. <laughs> Good job, Cameron. <laughs> Woo! Because I love Medici. Yeah. And I think it's great. And I think that the best decision that you have to make in that game and this one is what's the number right right? it's your turn you only get one shot you can't change your mind Mm -hmm. and your turn order is like makes all is like a is like a gift to you or a curse depending on what it is right so it's like this is my chance to set the tone for whoever's after me right yeah that's the game right it's like pick the correct number so Maybe you're in a position where you can spend a lot of money. Maybe you've been saving up your money and like, good for you. You could also blow all of it on one turn and it completely just game over evaporate, right? It could be a good round for you, but you could have massively overbid. Yeah. Okay. Because we've all done it. I think each of us have have it done on at least one round where you're like, this is my round. I'm, I'm dropping large coin on this one mm-hmm. and then you're like seven and then everyone else is like two one three and you're like really or 
you can have a round where you're in first position and the bids have mostly been going three, four, five, maybe six. And you're like, I bet 11. And then Bill's like, I bet 12. And you're like, yeah. I effed. Yeah. And you're just like, because you don't. Game over. Because you yeah. still, any, any That's amount how I won that the first game. Bid, <laughs> it's, it, it's important to clarify. Any amount that you bid during the round, it's gone. You're <clears> yeah, spending right. that money. You're committing it. It's not if someone goes over you, then you're out scot-free. No, your money is gone. Yeah. So if someone overbids you when you've taken a big swing, that hurts yeah. a lot. It, it's, it hurts. Because those are points. And you might say, well, don't bid high when you're in first seat like that. And I agree with that. But that goes back to what Jason and I were saying. It hurts to pass or bid low to go in a low position. And then the tiles don't come out you need when you want it to bid high. And then you're in a bad seat position again. You're like, well, I have to make a move sometime, right? Right. And then you go for it and somebody bids over you and you're like, oh, boy. Well, and if you shortchange yourself on cash, and you, especially later in the game when people have been able to save up a little bit, and you're suddenly in a position where your max bid is like four, <laughs> that's awful. That's a painful <laughs> position to be in in this game. Yeah. yeah. In the last couple of rounds, two or three rounds, sometimes it could be a 20-point difference on which tile you get. Like you're saying. Oh, right? yeah. Right. Huge points. Right. 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 If, if you tap into a big plantation with a two-pointer, it could easily be 20 points. Easy. And, and if you get the second tile out there instead of the first one, I mean, yeah, that can, that's a game changer. Yep, for sure. Any, any thoughts, Jason, before we move on? No, so I'm good. We, we have a lot of reviews on these, so I'm going to include more of our uh, yeah, yeah. our audience I promise uh, comments. I won't stop unless it's something really important. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. No, that was, that was a good segment, though. All right, so... This one is from Vince. Thanks for writing in, Vince. He says, Santiago is this amazingly wonderful entangled game. Finding ways to incentivize others to do what helps you. Seeing alliances form and fall apart. Bribing and being outbid. (laughs) Makes this an amazing experience every time. This game has rapidly climbed into my top 20 and will probably climb some more. Interesting. Okay. Okay. This is some uh, some more positive feedback from Vince. All right. Taylor says, Chinatown is the Beatles of interactive central board auction games. Chinatown? He said Chinatown. Okay. I'm just reading it. (laughs) Chinatown is the... Let me read it. (laughs) Chinatown is the Beatles of interactive central board auction games, while Santiago is the Rolling Stones. With the prestige of being the second Aaliyah title and reprinted several times in the last 20 years, Chinatown is an elegant classic with a few scoring scoring flaws. Meanwhile, Santiago's system is a little grittier, a little meaner, and has rarely been reprinted, but suffers from no scoring or other notable issue I can think of. Chinatown may get the esteem, but Santiago has gamer cred and, quote, if you know, you know. Mm. Can't always get what it's <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. so you try sometimes. Any thoughts on that in the comparison nope. with Chinatown? I, I like it. That's a good metaphor. I, I I did not think about Chinatown when we played this game at all. Did you? Yeah, I'm having a hard Doesn't time remind me. Chinatown. Nothing, I, I I mean I get what he's saying, but I thought more about Chinatown when we played Quavadas than Santiago, honestly. Because of the Kind of pure negotiation, the negotiation element. aspect. Yeah. yeah, I guess there's negotiation in the sense that you're bidding for there is, the yeah. water and trying to convince other people to make the. But uh, you can force that more through the game mechanics than you can in Chinatown or Quovas. Yeah. Okay. okay. But we got some positive feedback there yep. from Santiago, especially I guess 
saying it suffers from no scoring issues. Okay. Okay. All right. And then we've got Marco. Oh, yeah. Who who Mm -hmm. says, Santiago demands that other players are ruthless with one another from the outset. Yeah. Your partnerships last as long as the current turn and are immediately forgotten afterwards. The balance of liquid cash against points will lead to squabbles over canal placement. And who becomes the canal overseer? If you think modern art is too friendly, then come down to Santiago. (laughs) I like that. Okay. Yeah, I think that point about the partnerships only lasting as long as the current turn is a good point. Yeah, I do too. I definitely felt that in this one. Mm -hmm. And the forcing players to be mean from the outset. Oh (laughs) my. I feel like maybe this is the time we talk about our our experience with playing on the The edge edge of the board. (laughs) So we challenged ourselves at one point where we're like, are we all good with this? Everyone's going to be friends. Yeah. (laughs) And we put the fountain starting point of the water on On the the edge edge of the map, uh, like right in the middle on the edge. And then we played from there and would we say it made a difference? And and then we we weren't friends anymore. (laughs) Before the game started, we were like, oh, yeah, we should do it for the podcast. Oh, it'll be fine. We'll have fun. Turn two, we're just like, like, everybody's like, like, I hate you, you're a jerk. (laughs) Yeah, I think in the second round, Chris had already dry plotted me in. Yeah. Oh, no, that that was the one where I was like, okay, it's turn three. And I'm like, I think I'm out of this game. I think oh, I'm done. Yeah, I could, so actually, this will segue into one thing I did want to mention. I do feel like taking tiles, not with the intention to score, but with the intention to block right. is an interesting strategy. And yeah. it very much comes into play if you decide to play on the edge and God forbid in the corner, which mm. you can do. But mm. passing, while it is true that you get one less cube on it, you could pass to try to get into the canal overseer position with the intention of, I'm going to take this tile knowing it's not going to score for me. I'm just going to bottle you up. Right. And I, I actually kind of enjoyed that, honestly. You know I mean, I like it a little meaner anyways. Yeah. But just taking somebody's point potential and being like, well, you know, those two crop tiles you got four cubes in, they ain't getting any bigger because right. I'm blocking you in. Yeah, right? and, and you that's, can do that in this game. Right. That's an important thing to note for those unfamiliar with the game, which is that the individual plots of different crops score separately. Right. right. So you could, for example, have two separate locations of beans or whatever. Right. That score separate from one another. Right. So if they're not connected, then they don't score as one big blob. So if you can cut them off somehow and you have two bananas over here and five bananas over there, you can do that and that that divides it out. So you're incentivized if you're not part of one of those crop plantations to cut them off if you can to minimize the number of points that your opponents are going to score. And if the spring starts on the edge, you're just cutting your real estate in half, basically. So it's just a lot harder to expand and not get closed in and to get watered and it's just a different experience yeah for yeah. sure when you whenever you have multipliers like that affecting the score outcome if you can prevent those ramps from happening when you're not a part of them you probably want to right all right and so finally from our audience reviews we've got christine who's a patron yeah mm-hmm. good to hear from you uh he says the combination of Shared knowledge with the uncertainty of the human factor makes this game great. <laughs> Having shared incentives with the overseer at the right moment is key. For some, it is difficult to grasp that you better not pay more than half of mm. your own yield as a bribe. Yeah. It can be frustrating if other players are overpaying 
which can result in lengthy discussions. I tend to like this, but I can understand it won't be for everyone. Biggest negative is that you can't always go for Overseer when he's powerful. Theme may not be the most exciting, but overall superb game, parenthesis, five to six category. Nice. Okay, cool. All right, before we get into final thoughts, since it wasn't mentioned in the comments, I just want to mention one more thing because I really enjoyed this part of it, and I'll be brief. I loved how the economy was handled in this game. Mm, the since income? It, yeah, since it wasn't mentioned in the comments. In games like this, typically, they often struggle with a runaway leader issue and mm. that like, if somebody gets off to a good start, quote-unquote, and gets a big plantation and is scoring a lot of points, they're generating more income. That's not like a thing in this game. It doesn't matter how well you're doing from a point standpoint. You're still only getting $3 around. So you'll never find yourself in a position of like, well, I just can't do anymore because they're making more money than I am. Mm-hmm. Everybody makes the same money every round. Yeah. And the only thing that changes that is how patient you are and how much you're holding back. Right. And then when you navigate yourself into the canal overseer role to take bribes and that's it. And I yep. really, really, really liked that. Yeah. Cause it always felt like you had a chance to make a move because somebody wasn't making more money than you. Everybody kind of had the same money. It was just how you were using it. Yeah. Brilliant. In my opinion. No, I completely agree with that. I had notes written down about how highly I think of that because yeah, like the, the <clears throat> if you're playing the game, well, then it means you're making good deals. You're bidding correctly. You're bidding not, you're not yeah. just flooding your money out there to try to get what you want. And yeah. And you're placing yourself strategically in a place where you can gain more income through other means. Yep. All right. We ready? Jason. Final oh, thoughts man, on Santiago. You're first. You're going to make me start. <laughs> you want to go last? Maybe. All right, Cameron, you start. I know Jason. Okay. Jason is still making up his mind over there. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is a tough one. <laughs> this is a tough one. I don't mind going for it. All right. <laughs> I got to play this one several times, and I have to say it surprised me. Mm. My one con, which I didn't mention, is this game looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. You look at the board. It's like literally brown, brown with a bunch of lines on it. Uh-huh. Like, that's it. Uh, and also, why do they include $50 bills? <laughs> There's a bunch of Monopoly money in this game to track your money and track your points, and no one is ever going to need $50 it's To make you bills. feel bad, Cameron. Yeah. I always feel like I'm underperforming. It's a big one. stack of 50s. Yeah. But but honestly, I had to say it surprised me. It, it grew on me with every play. And I think we I probably got three, maybe four plays in of this one. Even in the last game where... I kind of got piled on in the beginning where we were playing on the edge of the map. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, looking back, I you still recovered actually. I still felt in the game toward the end that yeah. I wasn't that far behind. Yeah. So I think it's a really well balanced game and that the designer really thought through all the potential hazards that you could encounter with it. So my opinions really changed from my very first plays of this to where I, I'm actually now kind of looking forward to playing it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I'm actually going to land on a four. Nice. I think this is a well-balanced game. I like single bid games. Yeah. Uh, I like the format and it was enjoyable. Awesome. For me, I think from a design standpoint, this game is something of a masterpiece to be quite honest. Every rule makes sense. 
There's no unnecessary fluff. The decisions are agonizing. The game can be super sharp, and it punishes poor planning. All things that I like. So this kind of sounds like a six, but I'm not going to give it a six. I'm going to give it a five. And the only reason for that is, and I mentioned this briefly towards the beginning of our review, there is a bit of a luck element here in that tile flip, and it burned me quite a few times. (laughs) I'm not saying I can't handle any sort of luck in my game, but I guess the point I'm making is, is this a game that I'm always going to go for to want to play all the time? Probably not, just because I had a couple experiences where I just got really torched Mm. on that tile flip, and it hurt me. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that I don't think the game is excellent, because I do. I'm making a distinction here between five and a six, basically. For me, it's not a six, but I think it's well above average. From a design standpoint, I really kind of marvel at it. There's just so many neat rules that we've hashed out that I, I don't want to go into again, but I think it's just really well done. So for me, there's a mosquito that just went in my mouth. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> it just went right down my mouth. <laughs> Awesome. It literally sucked into my mouth <laughs> as I was talking. Oh, <laughs> gross. It's okay. I'm going to give this game a five, Bill. Are you out? Do you need some water? I'm good, man. <laughs> it, it went down kind of clean, actually. I'm all right now. <laughs> it's caught me off guard. All right. North Carolina springtime. Holy cow. All right. So... I think I have to talk a little bit more about the two different auctions and the water seer because it was so interesting to me staring at those tiles, thinking about what I'm going to bid for, especially if there's already been bids ahead of me and somebody's either passed or bidding a one already. And I, and <laughs> I know, you know, who's going to going to be the water seer and where I have to think about where I think their water is going to go. <laughs> and then the tiles have one or two possible workers you can yep. put on it. So if you have two workers on all of them, you can pass and still have a tile that can count. At least or, one. At yeah. least one. Or you can bid one and know that you're going to have a two-person tile out there, I guess, mm-hmm. kind of thing. The wrinkle for me was when there was a couple of ones out there. And like, yeah. how, how do I bid this in a way? Because it really cranked up the incentive to bid higher and not be one of the ones to get the one worker placement tile. Yeah. And I just... Really, really like that that tension. Um, and at the same time, I hated it as well because <laughs> I felt so much of it was out no of No warm control. fuzzies in this game? No warm fuzzies. And playing in this group, I mean, it's like... It know, was cutthroat <laughs> city. Uh. Yeah, you, you walked out bleeding. <laughs> you can feel, you get your feelings hurt in this game. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you were on the wrong side of the eight ball and like you just placed, you bid a bunch of money out and you lost the negotiation on where the water goes and you're like watching the thing that you just bid eight bucks for drying up out there in the field. <laughs> you got locked in a couple of times oh, with tile placements. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris, Chris, absolutely. I orchestrated that. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, you know, if you place here and I place here. here. Right. He's trapped in. I had visions of this great, huge banana orchard. (laughs) I was was calling Dole already. But anyway, to me, I I, I just wonder how I feel about negotiation games from what you said earlier about some of the other ones we've talked about tonight. That it's just become stressful kind of thing. (laughs) But I'm going to give this a five as well. And really, it's because, and I have it written right here. You can look. I just think the design is really clever. Yeah. 
and there's just there's so much about balancing those the the water and your bids as you're going into it that it's just been a, it's an amazing thing to behold kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's amazing because this really kind of is the these sort of classic <coughs> hidden gems dna yeah right simple simple rules like pretty tough decisions and strategy yeah. and stuff that is something else i was gonna sometimes you can read the rules of games that come across pretty easy like it's an easy game but the strategy is so deep on the backside of it that it's so difficult to guess to convey in a podcast or verbal sort of, sort of way this game had lots of rules to it but really it's a pretty simple rule set i think it becomes on a game the night. rules are intuitive right mm-hmm. they're absolutely intuitive so yeah. that's one of the other mm-hmm. positives i would say about this game. it's easy to learn very easy to learn very easy to to get in on a, on a, on a game night so cool yeah, I mean, I think I would echo a lot of the thoughts that have already been said in terms of the elegance of this game. I think the design is really fascinating. I've never seen an auction game. I'm sure some exist, but I've never seen one where there's such a dichotomy between the incentive to bid high and the incentive to bid low. Yeah. Which is fascinating to me. <clears throat> At the same time, I'm a little torn as to, like, it also creates some complications, right? That means I can't determine what's going to happen quite as yeah. well. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. We've talked about perfect information games in Northern Pacific and how that can also go wrong, right? So I don't believe that every game needs to be perfect information in order to be good. Agree. But I think I struggled with that dichotomy, both in a good way and in a bad way. And so it shouldn't be any surprise to anybody if you've listened to this podcast for a while that Medici is one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. And once around auctions, I think are an underutilized and fascinating mm-hmm. game mechanic that I wish was used in more games. And so I was really debating between a four and a five on this game. I think the elegance really shines. I just question if there was like a little bit of the special sauce for me that was missing. Because at, at the end of the day, and we've talked about this in the past on other games, I have to think about like, Amongst all the games that I would want to play, especially auction games, is this the one that I would be like, yeah, man, Santiago, that's the number one that I want to go to. I don't think it is, right? That definitely keeps it from being a six for me. On the four and five line, I'm back and forth. I don't know. I think I'm going to settle on a four for now. I think it is a good game. I think it can be a great game, and I would want to play it a little bit more to decide for sure. Mm -hmm. Um but I definitely think it's a good game. I definitely think it's an interesting example of the once around mechanic in auctions. I want to play it more. Yeah. So that, that's a positive sign. That's right? good. I think, I, it, too. I think it could go up to a five with yeah. time. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad that we all had a game that we all liked pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Among these. Love, this, love Spe- to explore. Especially this after the last one. <clears throat> Sorry if you're out there and you're. <laughs> We're really hoping for some positive words about Northern <laughs> Pacific, but uh, maybe try Santiago. Yeah, and, man. And if you do, maybe Chris could tell you where to find it. Good news, bad news. Bad news. There are no copies of Noble Knight. <laughs> okay. There are only two copies on BGG, and they're kind of expensive, but that's because this game's way out of print. But oh. it's got reprinted. Oh, boy. By Treffle. Okay. It's a Polish company. Truffle. So it's not easily available in the states right now but i did hear that you can pick it up through board game bliss which is a canadian distributor so there is a north american distributor if you live in the states 
where you can probably get it through them. In Europe, it shouldn't be as hard to get, but they did just reprint it. It looks a lot better than this version. Oh, does. okay. Yeah, from an aesthetic standpoint. I'd be very curious just to see it. But apparently the rules are unchanged, which, cool. thank goodness, Yeah, because they don't need to be changed. Right. They're perfect as is. You don't That's need right. to change anything. You don't have to... Board game <clears throat> uh, uh, designers and distributors, you don't have to change stuff if you get reprint rates. Yeah. Just if it's just worthy it be. of being reprinted, Maybe just reprint it. Yeah, it's good. Dress up the artwork a little bit. E- even despite my quibbles with maybe the luckiness of the top flips, I wouldn't want them to change it, I don't think, because I don't know how they could, and mm. it's okay. Like, yeah. It just didn't go my way that time. It's annoying, but <laughs> so many good things about it doesn't need to be messed with. Awesome. All, All right. right. Where are we at? What's our time? <laughs> Seven Three hours. hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> Not lying. Almost what four time hours is it? of footage here. Almost it's one. It's twelve forty-one Eastern, people. <laughs> Can't say that we're not committed. We still got a backstage to do. Get oh ready. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Forgot about that. All right. Well, those are our thoughts on Santiago. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this fiftieth episode, milestone upon milestone Woo-hoo! episode of Hidden Gems. Yes. Get excited, Bill. Guys, Bill we're... is not happy to be here right now. <laughs> I've already missed out on my milk and cookies. Guys, we're so thankful. We wouldn't be doing fifty episodes of this show if we didn't have an audience out there who was enjoying the show and constantly giving us wonderful feedback. We're grateful that you tune into this podcast and listen to us jabber on about video games and board games and everything else. So Thank you for being a member of our audience. Thank you for being a patron if you're a patron. If you are, you can, of course, tune in to the latest episode of Hidden Gems Backstage. And if you're not, maybe this is a good time to check it out. You could just head on over there. Two bucks a month gets you access to the Backstage podcast. Right. We're talking about Direct access to us. There's more fun stuff. We've got an upcoming Gem Miner episode. Mm -hmm. If you want to jump into that category, you can get us to review a game that you choose. So. Lots of fun stuff happening over at Patreon. Of course, you could follow us on our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We don't really post a ton lately, but no. we're still there. If you want to find us, if you want to chat with us, you can find us there. You can jump in on Discord, chat with us there, chat with the other members of the audience. And of course, you can jump in on the BGG Guild if you want to interact with us and share a game that you think is a hidden gem. And, of course, if you're so inclined, you can consider supporting the show over at Patreon.com Hidden Gems Podcast or by purchasing a Hidden Gems t-shirt or a hat over at our website, HiddenGemsBoardGamePodcast.com slash store. Until next time, I'm your host, Cameron. This is Chris. I'm Jason. This is Bill. Thanks for listening. This episode of Hidden Gems, number 50, was recorded in Raleigh, North Carolina on May 22nd, 2023. Do you feel like the games featured on Hidden Gems aren't hidden enough for you? Well, if that's you, be sure to join us in three weeks as we review three games so hidden they won't even have a BGG ranking. Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yonchalev. Our Board Game Geek Guild is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member Ghidorah. Our Discord channel is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member Snoozefest. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist Caitlin Nieto. Check out her work on Instagram at It's Caitlin Nieto. 
we would love to hear from you. Feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at Hidden Gems Board Game Podcast, Instagram at hiddengems.podcast, and Twitter at Hidden Gems Board. Disagree with one of our reviews? Have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today? You can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at BoardGameGeek.com, guild number 3874. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search.